Pop culture leftovers might not be suitable for people who can't handle insane amounts of profanity, so you might want to fuck off. Pop culture leftovers might take its time getting around to its advertised content as well. If this is a huge problem for you, then you too can fuck off. Pop culture leftovers typically has a long run time as well. If you can't handle a four to six hour podcast, then you probably won't like us, and you too can join the aforementioned cock thistles and fuck off altogether in unison. Others who may not be able to handle pop culture leftovers include children under the age of 14, if you regularly listen to NPR, are a pregnant woman that has spent most of your first, second, and third trimester looking at stupid shit on both Etsy and Pinterest, if you tuck in your t-shirts, if you use a Bluetooth headset in public, if you go to motivational speaking seminars, if you have life goals, if you have self-respect, if you have a heart condition, if you're a huge pussy, if you're a huge pussy with a heart condition, or if your name is Melvin, TFS706, or TJ Lamb. Everyone else, please enjoy. Episode 454. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a walk, Brad. But it's all been done before. We don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it toss it, good it taste. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Push over pop culture. Leftovers. Are, are, are you ready for the only podcast hotter than a human torch? It's Pop Culture Leftovers. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the leftovers. leftovers. Perfect! <laughs> ding, ding, nailed ding. It. You nailed it. It's no fun when you fucking get it right, Joe. Start fucking up again. <laughs> <laughs> But I put in all that practice. I know you did. <laughs> I know you did. It wouldn't be real if you didn't, and I'm proud of you. The baby boy's all grown up. It all grows Taking up. My first steps into a larger world. I know. He don't even need the bib anymore. Look at him over there. <laughs> we can move on to fucking chicken wings. This kid, I'm telling you. Anyway. Ah, chicken wings. Chicken wings. Ah. How spicy do you like to go with chicken wings? I like them spicy enough to where I can enjoy the taste, but then, you know, not so fucking spicy that uh, it's just burning my mouth. Yep, that's right where I'm at, too. Yeah. Like, when when I first got into wings, I got really cocky, and it was like if I was going to B-dubs, I was getting, like, the sweet mango habanero, which at the time was, like, the second hottest one on the menu. And, and like, I would just be eating wings with tears streaming down my face, and I'm like, I don't know why I like food that hurts me. And then I got a little bit older and started getting heartburn and, and had to take it easy, and so now I'm, like, a medium buffalo sauce <laughs> type person, kind of a, kind of a puss hole and regards to what I used to be able to tolerate, but man, I just don't want my food to just destroy my palate anymore. Reminds me of Ralph from the, was it Ralph or, yeah, from the Simpsons, the little kid, he's like, tastes like burning. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Guys, I'm under the weather. I'm not feeling good again. It just happened this morning. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know. I'm falling apart. I'm going to get... I'm going to try my best during this fucking episode, but just just be warned that uh, I'm starting to I'm starting to fade. I'm starting to fade here. 
but uh, I'll be trying my best. We are not alone, Joe. We have Melissa Sloter from the Wild Pretty Things podcast joining us. Welcome, Melissa. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, happy to have you here. What's going on with Wild Pretty Things? What are you guys doing? We are working our way through some episodes talking about our favorite films of 2022. And then we will be recording an episode about the film Picnic at Hanging Rock. So that will be coming up. That was a first watch for both of us. So I have never even heard of the movie. No, nah, neither, neither have I. Um, it is... I think it came out in the 70s. It's like an Australian, it's like a staple of like Australian new wave cinema, which I'm not super familiar with the um, the various waves of Australian cinema. But it was kind of a big deal there. And then it's based off a book and there was a prime miniseries that came out adapted from it that starred Natalie Dormer. And I haven't seen that yet, but that's kind of how it got on our radar. I like that Natalie Dormer. I know me too. I also like extremely spicy foods. <laughs> uh, yeah, how spicy do you go with your wings? Um, I eat my wings normally just buffalo flavor because I like buffalo flavor. But when it comes to like eating uh, like Thai food, I will order my food Thai spicy and then say yes. I'm very serious when they make sure that I'm sure. <laughs> Why do they call it, bu- it? Why do they call it buffalo flavor? Is it because it I, originated in Buffalo, New York? Because it doesn't taste like okay. Because it doesn't taste like a buffalo style, right? Like they have to be specifically not breaded and not like smoked or whatever. I think it's specifically a grilled wing with like a specific sauce. It's not like somebody like licked a buffalo's anus and was like, "All right, let's put this on a chicken." <laughs> so spicy. Yeah, and you gotta <laughs> dip it in blue cheese, ranch not season. ranch. Oh, for it to be a real buffalo I'm with it I like my ranch though, I'm very Midwestern See, I like ranch too, but I do prefer If I'm eating wings, I'm dipping it in blue cheese Ah, I I hate blue cheese I can't eat blue cheese by itself I don't like blue cheese dressing on a salad Yeah, But, I mean, specifically The only time that I like blue cheese Is blue cheese dressing And I'm dipping uh, wings in it Yeah I don't know. I like the uh, the honey mustard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like. That. Oh, I honey! Love like if dips. <laughs> yeah, if I'm eating like chicken tenders, like honey mustard all the way. Ranch is. I used to love ranch, and now I'm just burnt out on ranch. Anything, just burnt the fuck out on ranch. I even got burnt the fuck out on the Ashton Kutcher show, The Ranch. Just anything, <laughs> anything, anything ranch related. I'm just burnt out on. I don't know. We got some. We got, just made some of those oyster cracker treats last week. They have like the the ranch mix in with them that you bake in the oven for a little while. I never. What are you talking? This must be a midwestern thing. Oyster cracker be. treats. It's like oyster crackers, and it has like powdered ranch mix in with it, and you toss it with a little bit of oil, and then just bake it in the oven for a little bit oh, until they crisp I up. That. Yeah, they're pretty good. They leave you with dragon good. breath, but they're pretty tasty. And that's not like a, you know, that's not a driving snack because your hand gets covered in like oil and <laughs> yes, ranch seasoning. Not a driving snack, not a snack that while you're flipping through apps on your smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even heard of this before. That is I, really. Yeah, it sounds uh, disgusting. <laughs> it's like no, they're savory actually really puppy tasty. Chow. <laughs> yeah, savory puppy chow. That's a perfect way to describe it. That's weird. 
<laughs> Dude, I had that snack for the first time in like the nineties. I can't believe you've never had it. You no. live three hours away from me. I know. It's just it's, nobody around me's <laughs> eating uh, oyster crack like uh, oily oyster crackers like or whatever. Gallon Ziploc baggie. Some parent definitely dropped it off at Latchkey. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's already making my stomach upset. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Midwestern, what the fuck are we eating over here? It's disgusting. Anyway, we got an iTunes review, Joe. Hey, two weeks in a row. Yeah, here we go. iTunes reviews. <laughs> it's one star five. We don't give a fuck because we really love to hear just how much we suck. Guys, Chris Dumont and your host is a jerk. I'm an opinionated asshole who's dick don't work. All right, this comes from uh, Mrez420, or it could be Mr. Ez420. I don't know. Just throwing out both possibilities, Joe. Either way. It's Mr. Easy. Mr. Easy. It's two Z's at the end, though. So, oh, okay. Mr. Easy, so he gets tired after he does his 420. <laughs> it's titled, uh, Joe is a wizard. Hey, this is true. Really, Joe? I didn't. Yeah, I got I, a pointy hat. I got a book of spells. I didn't, know, I didn't know you dabbled in the mystic arts, Joe. This is something new. Uh, I got a blue pointy hat with stars and moons on it. Yeah. You're a fucking dork. <laughs> 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 anyway, here we go. So the host, Brian, has undergone a transformation since dropping the Deadwood Jake. And bringing Joe on board as a leftover, he is more insightful and much less cranky. I'm totally kidding! <laughs> Although Jake is missed, Joe has been a guest host so much he has made the transition, transition to full leftover very smoothly. And Brian's opinions are still frivolous. And he is as cranky as ever. Kidding! Jeez! Honestly, a great show that summarizes an amazing array of media releases. It really helps you decide what will fit your entertainment taste or Tupperware or toss. If you know, you know. Keep up the good work and thank you. Am I number 969? No, you're not. You're number 971. We need 29 more reviews, Joe, to hit that 1K number that I am so coveting right now. I think we can do it. If, if nothing else, we're talking about it a lot and, and putting suggestions in people's minds. <laughs> this Mr. EZ or Mr. Ez or MR Rez 420, however he wants to be known by. Very snarky, a little sarcastic, don't you think, Joe? <laughs> he was a little sarcastic. Did, yeah. you, did you feel seen, though? Yeah, a little bit. He loves it. <laughs> he had me going there for a hot minute. I was like, this is a pretty bold review. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he uh, he got our attention there, a little attention seeker, and uh, yeah, a little swervy guy, a little, a little swerving, a little fucking <laughs> a little M Night Shyamalan himself here with the twists. <laughs> I couldn't. Anyway, Jesus, thanks for the fucking review. Glad you enjoy the show, and uh, yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of truth, though, Joe. I think he's like he's like uh, I'm, I'm a little a little bit of truth bombs in there, and he tries to like ah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> that is the move, isn't it? Like yeah. I'm gonna write something borderline abrasive. And I'm gonna write just kidding. And then no I'm gonna else. then I'm gonna puss out at the last minute and be like, I'm kidding. <laughs> Brian, you're a fucking loser cunt. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Probably gonna die alone in a room with your cats eating your brains. <laughs> just kidding, man. <laughs> you fucking virgin. <laughs> just kidding. Sure, you get tons of puss, puss, or whatever the fuck the kids are calling it these days. Poon. <laughs> I don't know what the kids are calling it, Joe. <laughs> oh, Christ, did I mention I'm sick? It, it definitely came up. Yeah, I think it happened when I read that fucking review. Just kidding! <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, let's see here. Oh, this weekend, Saturday, I went, uh, I was up in your neck of the woods, uh, Melissa. I was, uh, I went to uh, a place called uh, Immersive Gaming. Ooh. And uh, they have uh, different rooms that you can go in and play uh, these kind of like virtual games. Reminded me a little bit of the Wii, but instead of the handheld controller, you put a visor on your head that has like three miniature ping pong balls. And the, the room kind of like knows where you are in the room and uh there's uh, a back wall uh which has nothing on it but then there are the the two side walls and then the front wall which they have screens projected on and you can do a gaming experience they had uh like a an alien game they had like a uh uh angry birds game and then they had a uh, game based on Squid Games. And so that's the one that I did. I did the Squid Games Immersive Gaming. And um, so I had uh, the blue visor on. And then uh, my partner had the red visor on. And then you immer- are immersed into like the Squid Games games from the Netflix series. And... Uh, the first one was that red light, green light with that giant, you know, little girl who turns her head. And I had a hard time getting, uh, getting uh, used to the, the mechanics of the game. So basically, uh, there would be like, like I was the blue visor. So like there would be these blue feet, these blue feet pr- footprints on the wall. And I had to line up um, my, uh, uh, the little ping pong balls it would like register like a blue dot on the screen so whether i moved forward when i moved forward the blue dot would move up and when i moved backwards the blue dot would move down and i had to line i had to when she was completely turned around i could move forward and try to line up my blue dot with the blue feet on the blue footprints on the screen but if she turned around and caught me and I wasn't there, then I had to go all the way back to the beginning. I kept fucking that up. I was not good at that one. But luckily, that game ended and we went into the tug of war, which was a blast. You had to, like, find uh, your your spot to land your little blue dot in. Um, with your other, with so you're on one side of the rope and your partner's on the other side of the rope and if you both got to where you needed to be and lined your blue dots and you'd be able to pull the other team closer to like the pit and uh, won that game and then played uh, the 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 cookie game where you're like uh, uh, you're supposed to be licking the cookies but in this one you've actually got like the needle with the heated up needle and you can kind of like burn the cookie and then and then so you'd have to like the different shapes would be on 
the front screen and you would have to move left or right. And if you moved out of the lines, it would crack the cookie. And that was a fun, I, I dominated in that one. I, I think I only mm. fucked up one. And then there was like uh, the floor with the glass where you'd had to jump on the glass and uh, make sure you're jumping on the right piece of glass or it would break. And how you did that one is they had on the right side of the wall and the left side of the wall, you would have to memorize these different masks, like whether they're buffalo, lion, bear, or deer. And then it would ask you a question. Uh, so your partner would memorize the ones on their side. You'd memorize the ones on your side, the masks on your side. And it would ask you a question like, which side had a bird on it? And then you'd jump over to like the right side if it had the bird on it. And if you both got it right, then the glass wouldn't break. If you got it wrong, the glass would break. And then they had the marbles game. And you'd, have to, you'd actually like line up the marbles and throw them and try to knock out the other marbles and keep your marbles in the circle. And then they had like an escape game. It was a lot of fun once I got the hang of it. And it's something that I definitely do again. I even think the Angry Birds one might be fun. But uh, that's immersive gaming in Chicago. And I had a blast. Dude, that sounds amazing, but I've, I've got to ask, did, were you able to see, like, a preview of what the Angry Birds one looked like? Like, no. what would that even be? I don't know. I think it's probably you're the Angry Bird, and you are pulling back and letting go and trying to line up, and it's maybe your point of view trying to knock down the buildings and the pigs and stuff. Dude, that would be amazing if you yeah. were actually the point of view of the bird flying at mm-hmm. the structure. Dude, that'd be cool. Yeah. I tried to book that appointment. I, 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 uh, you could do Angry Birds for 30 minutes and Squid Game for 60, but I was booking them the day of, and, and those were all sold out. So I was lucky enough to get into the Squid Game. But, um, yeah, I would go back and try the Angry Birds. I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. Did the, the red light, green light one, was it freaky looking when that thing would turn its head? Did it, did it feel like the way it felt in the show? It didn't. I mean, there, there's no way to feel like it did in the show because I'm not actually worried about dying. So. I, there is that. I mean, like, would you be able to, like, look around and, like, could you see, like, the gun turrets on the walls and stuff around you, like, in the show? I don't remember even. Yes, yes, you could. You could. There were the gun turrets okay, on. That's the, cool. Yes, there were the gun turrets. I do remember that. Um, and if you did get caught moving, so she'd stop and look at you. And if you did get caught moving like your head or a, or, or a leg or something like that, just the, all the screens would just turn red and you'd be you'd be dead in that moment and have to start over. Oh, Wow. <laughs> yeah, I've never done anything like that immersive or or even put on like, you know, one of the like Oculus or something like that. I've, I've never seen anything like that. But but that sounds really incredible. It was fun. It was definitely an experience. I think, you know, like the trying to just figure it out, the mechanics and how it works at the beginning was like the hardest part. But once I got it and like got a feeling of the game, it like you and the person that you're with, you're a team some of the time. And not competing against each other. And it's super fun to, like, cheer each other on as you're doing this stuff. So it, I definitely think it's, like, it's something, like, if you can get a group of, you know, uh, two or four, even six people together to do this, you'll have a lot of fun. So, yeah. Yeah, immersive gaming. I don't know if they have any other locations, but I, it was Squid Game. I had to try it. I think it's, like, probably the closest that you're going to get to something Squid Game other than being cast on the Netflix reality series. That doesn't series. seem to be going well. So I know I've heard some weird fucking things coming out about that. So have they had it's a- people getting hurt? I think that they paused production, and this is just from like skimming headlines. But it seems like 
people who were cast contestants were saying like, hi, help us. We're being treated like inhumanely. And they like actually pause production either to like investigate or to completely shut it down. I'm not sure. Uh, they had the they had the guy who had up Firefest in control of this thing, apparently. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, when the games in the show legitimately kill people, you would think that they would really have humane treatment. People are dying in this. Lock. People have died. I don't think people are. I don't think people are dying. But I'm just saying, like, when you're basing a reality show off of a TV show where people died during the games, like, you think you would really want to make sure that the people did not feel like they were in danger while playing your yeah. reality show version. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a reality show version. It's not a, a sequel to the first season. No, no, no. They're, we're getting I a Squid Game season both. two, but oh, with the with, okay, I gotcha. with the popularity of it, they're coming out with the Squid Game competition reality series. Yeah, I mean, how do you even do that? Because the the whole hook of that show is that if you failed the games, you you were you were dead. Yeah. It really seems like they missed the point of their own show when they decided to make this, but I'm not exactly surprised. It's like going to Comic-Con and watching the kids playing Quidditch outside. (laughs) 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 Right? Maybe they're shooting them with, like, semi-frozen paintballs. I know that hurts like a son of a bitch. That'd be funny. I'd watch it just to see. <laughs> you hit with one. <laughs> oh man, I, I I did that and I hit it. I was sh- shooting down off a hill and I hit this kid in the fucking throat, and uh, he started, you know, he started crying like a puss. And uh, <laughs> but th- then then when the game was over, he was pissed off at me, so he just shot. The game was over and he just shot me in the stomach to get back at me. It was like fuck oh, you, what a dick. you fucking pusshole. <laughs> Years ago, I was playing this paintball course where it was set up like a little city where the guy had all these little structures that you could go in that were open on one end and it had like a a window at the other end of it. And we were my team was hunkered down behind this thing and this guy behind me. I'm standing and he's crouched down. He's like, cover me. I'm going to move forward. And so I'm standing holding the thing at my shoulder, like giving cover fire and the fucker stands straight up and I shot him point blank in the back of the head. Oh, he just went down like a sack of potatoes. Uh, it hurts. I'm like, hit. I'm like, why did you stand up? Like you knew I was behind you shooting, and you just stand right up like an idiot. That's oh my. That's the dumbest move. Oh my yeah, god. I didn't feel bad. I was like, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you literally told me to start shooting. Oh my gosh, that is not that. Like if that was a real war battle, that is not the guy you want in the trenches with you. No, 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 no. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you'd have been one of the people dying in the first five minutes of the, confl- the conflict for sure. Heads up, next week we're not going to have a regular episode posting on uh, on uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, I'll probably drop a Patreon episode because on Tuesday night we're going to be recording a, a quick uh, Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania uh, reaction episode. I'll just let you know what I thought about the movie. I'm seeing it on Monday. So I'm seeing it on Monday. That's why I can't record on Monday. But you will be getting an episode. I'll, I might even drop for Monday. I might even drop like a like an old Patreon episode. Uh, most not going to drop the most recent one. We did uh, a new game called Carl Urban Dictionary that I think was fun. <laughs> no, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> I've got you know I've got some good feedback on that one. Some people enjoyed that one, but um, but I'll, I'll be posting. Uh, 
uh, a new uh, page. I'll probably be posting a Patreon episode for everybody, an older Patreon episode episode for people to listen to. Um, I might even do the one where Jake uh, was on and uh, we did the Family Feud. I might post the Family Feud one, Joe. Oh, that'd be a great one. Yeah, people that are missing Jake, you'll be able to hear that one. But you've already heard him if you've signed up for Patreon. But if you haven't signed up for Patreon, you're not going to be able to hear Carl Urban Dictionary. But sign up for Patreon. Go to Patreon. Sign up for Pop Culture Leftovers on Patreon. It's only six bucks a month. You get two extra bonus episodes and now i'm going to be going over the winners of last week's contest for uh paley fest uh so i'm going to be naming off five people that are going to get tickets to paley fest i think you might be on a will call for paley fest i'll let you know i'll reach out to my contact and let you know for sure but the first winner is gonna be steve hoff Steve Hoff, parents almost named him Jack. True story. <laughs> Jack Hoff, if you didn't get that one. Uh, number two. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm 13. Next winner is Javier Hernandez. You win a ticket to Paley Fest, the Mandalorian experience. Number three, William Gonzalez. You win, sir. Number four is Patrick Boyce. Patrick Boyce. And number five, Alfredo Tostado. You win, sir. So there are your five winners that are going to Paley Fest to check out and watch The Mandalorian Season 3. Maybe they'll drop two episodes and I think the stars of the show will be there. So enjoy the experience. I, I'm, I'm jealous. I, although during that time, uh, I'll be at uh, C2E2. Yeah, yeah, it would be an amazing thing to go to, but I don't, I don't, oh, it'd be hard to, to put it up against C2E2. It's just so much fun getting to go and hang out with the Leftover Army and yeah. you know, just do all the fun con stuff, but, but mostly drink with people from the Leftover Army. That's so much fun. If I was guaranteed to hang out with Pedro Pascal... I would be like, fuck you, C2E2. <laughs> we would all understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hanging out with Pedro. I would send you a video of me and Pedro saying, fuck you, C2E2. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Got a new contest. And this is... Uh, this is uh, for, uh, I think it's Redbox Codes. Uh, it's a new movie called Little Dixie. Get ready for nonstop action with Little Dixie. Now streaming on Redbox, Frank Grillo and Eric Dane star in this revenge thriller. An ex-Special Forces operative caught in the crosshairs of a corrupt governor and a ruthless drug lord fight to take down the cartel. Stream Little Dixie instantly on Redbox On Demand today. It's rated R from Paramount Pictures. I signed up for this one because I love Frank Grillo, and I'm sure that we've got some listeners out there that love Frank Grillo. I think the guy's great, and so there's a chance that this could be another Frank Grillo movie that, like, maybe it's maybe it's under the radar. People aren't talking about it. Maybe they should be talking about it. You're going to be able to watch it for free through Redbox. And, uh, yeah, all you have to do is I'm going to be sending out a little Dixie tweet and Facebook post. All you have to do is retweet it or share the post. Screenshot that you did. Send me the screenshot to contest at Pop Culture Leftovers and title it Little Dixie. And in two weeks when we return, I'm going to go over the winners of Little Dixie. 
So that's exciting, Joe. I love Frank Grillo. Oh, dude, I hope this is another, like, boss-level type movie. Yeah, boss-level was so good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Love me some Frank Grillo. Enter the contest. Enter the contest, people. Don't let me down. Anyway, I'm fading, Joe. I'm dying over here. <laughs> you got this. I believe in you. The only thing that's, like, putting me, pushing me through right now, Joe, is this new Dr. Pepper uh, strawberries and cream. Zero. Ooh, yeah. I tried that on Saturday. That I thought it was pretty good. good. Yeah, it's 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 uh, Dr. Pepper Zero. It's got the zero sugar. I know it's not good. You know, listen, guys, I make a lot of good food choices. I make a lot of good choices in my life. You know, I go to the gym. I work out. I've lost the weight. I'm doing the things. Let me have this one fucking thing and enjoy my whatever sucralose. It's probably going to kill me when I turn 80 or whatever the fuck. But just let me enjoy it for now. Yeah, they haven't really been coming up with with good studies on these uh, sugar substitutes. Mm. I think stevia is the one to do. It's the plant-based one, Joe. Stevia. Okay, yeah, I've had stevia. Yeah. Yeah, and that one acts the most like just your normal cane sugar, too. Like, you can bake with it. Yeah. What has this podcast turned into? I know. (laughs) (laughs) I heard it as I was saying it. I know. But sometimes I make little, like, cinnamon, like, coffee, zucchini bread for my breakfast. And it just feels better to be making it with stevia instead of regular sugar. I'm having cake for breakfast. Jesus Christ, fucking zucchini bread. Ten years ago, you're telling me about zucchini bread. I'm thinking you're you're fucking psychotic. You're a sociopath. (laughs) And then I tried zucchini bread, and it's got little... This shit is good. It's fucking amazing, zucchini bread. <laughs> it is it's, good stuff. It's great. My parents uh, grew zucchini in their garden when I was growing up. The first summer they did it, they didn't know that zucchini will take over everything. And so we were eating zucchini every single night for mm. like four months. Bread, <laughs> cupcakes, grilled, baked. <laughs> uh, that sounds like when I planted cucumbers in our garden. They <laughs> yeah. took over. We had fucking cucumbers that were the size of my forearm. And it's like, I don't fuck with cucumbers until they've been turned into a dill pickle. And so it's like, I couldn't just, I couldn't even give these fucking things away. I'm like, oh, you're visiting here. Here's your complimentary cucumber. Another thing you can make with stevia, which is like a cucumber salad where you do like one to one vinegar and sugar, you know, not very health conscious until you swap out that sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Until it's a dill pickle, (laughs) cucumbers can fuck off. Uh, I like cucumber water, you know, kick up my water. That is the most pretentious thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> I do, Joe. Water. It makes me feel fancy as fuck. <laughs> cucumber water. Zucchini is such Stop a... Stop your monocle while you're drinking your cucumber water. Oh, yeah. I'm a monocle. Come on. <laughs> Get out of here. Drinking a... Why, why do I have to have a monocle? I don't know. The fuck am <laughs> Good. Makes you sound more like the Monopoly guy. I know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, uh, zucchini. Weird word, isn't it? It is. It is. Sounds like it is. A, I don't think I actually could spell it correctly if you gave me three tries. Z u c c h i n i. Oh, nailed it! I usually let autocorrect get my back on it when I'm writing it in my grocery list. It sounds <laughs> yeah, right. It, it sounds like it sounds like the Jawa's favorite fucking vegetable. Zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> 
your TV. <laughs> uh, Joe, never do that again. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can I can take direction. <laughs> Little Dixie guys enter the contest. Anyway, yeah, fucking ah, yeah, zucchini bread. It's good shit. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Oh yeah, good pop, bad pop. That's the thing that we do. It's time for more leftover reviews with good pop. Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things of the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things. And if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. A Tupperware party. As I drink my cucumber water and have my, my monocle in Joe. <laughs> Tupperware party. The pinnacle of success. Uh, let's talk about The Ark. This dropped on Sci-Fi. It's a Sci-Fi original. It's also on Peacock. It's a... Hundred years in the future, a spacecraft known as Ark-1 suffers a catastrophic event one year from reaching its destination, Proxima B, causing a massive destruction and loss of life. The remaining crew must work together to stay on course and survive. It's created by Dean Devlin. I think he did Librarian and some other stuff. I, but uh, alongside Jonathan Glasner, our co-show co-runners, uh, co-showrunners for the series, it is to consist of 12 episodes. Uh, it stars Christy Burke. Uh, I'm not familiar with any of these actors, to be quite honest with you. But, yeah, you've got uh, at the beginning of the... I will say that it has very crude special effects. Hmm. I think the reason being is sci-fi put a lot of money into... The Expanse, I think that's a show that they couldn't afford, and so I think they're learning from that mistake. And they're sacrificing budgets on these shows and trying to give us more story. Um, but anyway, you can definitely see that it's it's got very crude special effects. show starts with like a space station that's on its way going to this Proxima B. And... Uh, it's a five-year journey. They're all in cryostasis. Uh, something happens to where the ship is damaged, and they are, are, they are awakened. And um, now they've got to deal with being out of cryostasis and fixing the problem of the ship being damaged. But not only that, they've only got a small amount of food supply and water to last them, and not enough to last them for a year. So they've got their work cut out for them. Um, before they can make their destination, you've got people that are um, on this ship that aren't who they say they are. They've also got other people who are, uh, I mean, they've got people that are shady, people that are saying that they're not who they say they are. They've got people lying about certain things. It, they're, they're finding out a lot about uh, the people on the ship. So it's it's kind of like a soap opera mixed in with science fiction. And I felt like... Um, I don't know. I'll get into it a little bit more, but I do want to hear your guys' thoughts on the series. Joe, what did you think about the first? They only dropped one episode. What did you think about the arc? You, you nailed it when you said it's like a soap opera set in space. That's what I have written out of my notes. The, this this has the exact tone 
the 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 quality of acting, the quality of plot. This feels exactly like a soap opera. Um, uh, right away, I felt the same thing you did with the special effects. I was like, "Oh, this looks pretty bad." But you know, there's there's been other shows that we've reviewed in the past that didn't have the best uh, special effects, but it still had a really engaging, exciting plot line. Like specifically thinking Salvage Marines with Casper Van Diem. That was a really fun show. Yes. Um, terrible special effects, but it didn't matter because. It, it had other stuff going for it. Um, unfortunately, the arc, it doesn't have any of that other stuff going for it, at least in the first episode. And I do believe that it's hard to judge a show just based off a pilot. Pilots have a lot of groundwork that they have to cover, um, stuff to set up. And so it's not always just about the plot. But from what they gave us in the plot in this one, it's it, it's just I'm I'm just not buying any of it. And. And I was really, really happy when we got to the end of this first episode. I was also thrilled that there was no more to watch. And uh, for me, this this was a toss. It it didn't have anything going for it for me that that piqued my interest. Melissa, what did you think about the arc? I think that it is wild that this show has 12 episodes coming and they did not even give us two in the first week like on the other hand peacock wanted us to watch nearly half of poker face the day it dropped when it was like pretty much guaranteed people were going to come back to that so that's crazy um the special effects especially so i loved the expanse so when we started the show, I was like, I honestly can't believe sci-fi has the audacity to make another space show after they canceled The Expanse, which was one of my favorite shows. And then I saw what it looked like. Okay. <laughs> I understand how this happened. Um, ultimately, I'm going to give it a taste it because when this episode was ending, if there was a second one, I would have watched it right then because um, I was getting a little bit curious to find out what other type of like... Uh, you know, human drama they can drum up between these people. But because the episode wasn't out, I'm not 100% sure that I'll go back to this. If it drops and I notice it's out and I have time, maybe. But if I forget about it, then I forget about it. But really, I just don't understand the release schedule here because you could have had me for two episodes. <laughs> it's a, it's, but, a, it's it's because it airs originally like on sci-fi and it's not a Peacock exclusive. That's exactly why. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I mean, I think that this show might suffer for it. Uh, but yeah, I'm just going to give it a taste. It. I liked it enough. I would have kept going, but no. I'm going to taste it, too. I, 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 you know, I the soap opera aspect doesn't bother me. I grew up I like watching. Drama. <laughs> I like drama. Well, I grew up watching, you know, I guess you can consider them kind of like primetime soap operas. I grew up watching 90210 and Melrose Place and the Heights and all that shit, all, all that crap that came out on Fox. I was a huge Melrose Place guy. Um, and I think that this has the, the beginnings of being kind of like a crazy kind of like Melrose Place on a ship. When people are trying to survive. Um, I liked it enough for that soap opera aspect. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll give it a taste it as well. I, I kind of liked uh, the character of uh, Angus, who plays like he's like a uh, a farmer. He's like the world's best uh, horticulturist. And um, he's there to, uh, uh, once they get to Proxima B, he's the guy who's going to start... Uh, um, uh, uh, bringing crops into that world 
And uh, I also liked uh, the younger character of uh, Alicia Nevins. She's the waste management engineer, and she gets promoted. I loved her. She's great. She gets, oh, yeah, she was great. She gets promoted on the ship. See, you got to understand, a lot of the higher-ups on this ship were on a completely separate part of the ship that got destroyed. And so what they're left with is a, the lieutenants of this ship being the highest ranking members of the crew so they really don't have a sense of leadership here you've got three lieutenants one of them's definitely fighting for that top spot but they're giving the top spot to sharon garnett to start off with and you've got this other guy who's kind of like going after her and he's trying to uh you know take i think he's trying to take over leadership and second guess any decision that she makes um they've uh, i'm 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 not going to lie. I, I'm I'm kind of enjoying how uh, they're trying to find ways to survive on this. There's a point in the episode where they start losing oxygen in the ship. And then you find out that one of the characters is a little bit the way that he got on the ship. He, he kind of lied about who he was. Another guy is like opening doors, like unlocking these doors. It sounds like he maybe he had a past as like a thief or something like that. And he was lucky to get on the ship. Somebody trusted him enough to get on the ship. But I think he's probably got a shady past as well. And uh, I'm going to taste it as well, Melissa, with this one. And I think like you said it very well, like if I remember to watch the second episode, I will. But if I forget and I just continue to watch shows like Poker Face or or Physical 100, which I've really been into, Joe. I don't know if you've watched the next two episodes, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm caught up on it. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Um, I didn't like that one guy taking on that female bodybuilder. He left a really bad taste in my mouth with that. That was Oh, he kept just putting his knee on her chest yes, or whatever? fucked up. Yeah, I thought that that was bullshit myself. Very bad taste, I mean... And, I don't know, this might be sexist, but it's like, if you're competing in a show called Physical 100 and you're a guy, and you're like... Your main thing is like, oh, I'm going to pick this female because I think she's easy competition. Yeah. Like, You're kind of a piece of shit. You're kind of a piece of I, shit. I had mad respect for the dudes that were like, no, I want a challenge. This is for my honor. I'm going, even though I'm the small guy, I'm going to go choose the biggest guy here. It's yeah. Like, Fucking kudos to you, dude. You've got, you've got the heart of a warrior. You got that sort yeah, of shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to get back to this one, Melissa, but who knows? I might. I might watch the second episode of this one if, it, you know, if I if I turn on Peacock and, and uh, I, I watch, uh, you know, next episode of Poker Face and I'm like, ah, fuck it. I'll watch the episode two of the arc. I might get back to it. But uh, that's the arc. It's on sci-fi. Um, you can also watch it on Peacock. Knock at the Cabin dropped in theaters. And... Um, while vacationing, uh, this is the M. Night Shyamalan movie, uh, while vacationing at a remote cabin in the woods, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand that they make that they make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. Confused, scared and with limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. Uh, it's a, an apocalyptic psychological horror film written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan who wrote the screenplay from an initial draft by Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman. It is based on the 2018 novel, The Cabin at the End of the World, by Paul G. Tremblay, uh, the first adaptation of one of his books. And it stars Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Ben Aldridge, Nikki Amuka Bird, Kristen Coy, Abby Quinn, and Rupert Grint. And, um, yeah, uh, M. Night Shyamalan... 
I don't know. I I, I kind of tried to limit myself on watching the uh, the teasers for this one, but unfortunately, they kept coming out, and I was spoiled on some things uh, that I didn't want to know going into the movie. So basically, you've got uh, these four people that show up at the cabin, and they're saying that you have to, one of you must die in order to stop the apocalypse from happening. And um, I don't know about you guys. But I didn't really feel like there was a huge twist in this one. I felt like it was pretty straightforward. And yes. So very different as far as M. Night Shyamalan is concerned. The biggest, oh, and this, is, this, is, this might not affect other people, but the, my biggest problem with this movie is the couple in this movie with the daughter, it's a gay couple, two men. And the biggest problem I had with it is not the relationship that they portrayed here, it's the fact that it came out the same week as we had that incredible episode of The Last of Us with Bill and Frank. I, <laughs> because that was such an incredible episode with two men and their love story. And this movie, I felt like it was too close on the heels of that episode to where I couldn't get into this couple and their story as much as I got into the couple in The Last of Us. I feel like that was like to this movie's detriment. And that's a me thing and not a movie thing. So I tried to keep that as separate as I could from my rating of this. Overall, though, I'm just going to give this one a taste it. I just I. I guess it's like we all expect that M. Night Shyamalan twist. I didn't get it here. And I don't know if it just left me unsatisfied but I still think it's worthy of watching. I just wasn't blown away with it. The only thing that really impressed me in this movie, 100%, was the performance of one Dave Bautista. He is like, in my opinion, the linchpin, like the best part of this fucking movie. I thought he, he was just incredible. Never took me out of the movie, and he's proving to me like he is taking this new craft of acting very seriously. I thought Dave Bautista was the standout in this one. And I'm, I'm going to give it a taste that I did kind of like guess. The, I did kind of like guess like who the four were way before it was even kind of like, you know, presented in the actual movie itself. Oh, totally. Um, I thought the special effects were pretty good when they were used. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll give it a taste it. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I want to pass it on to Melissa. What do you think about Knock at the Cabin? I'm going to give this a high taste it. I am not familiar with the story of the book, but I do I do know that the ending was changed, although I don't know what that, you know, that original ending was. Um, the thing about this film for me is that we are we watch this whole thing and then the ending is so straightforward, which is kind of a twist when you're watching an M. Night movie. You're, expect, you're expecting a twist to not get one. Might be the twist. Um, but because it just ended up being so straightforward, I really wish that it would have packed an emotional punch for me. If I'm not getting like the shock of a twist, I would like some other feeling. But I really just felt like, oh, okay, yep wrap up that's what we're doing because that is you know you know how the story is gonna end it's pretty straightforward like i said um but i 
the thing about this movie that I'm giving it a high taste for is I was worried about the flavor of violence that was going to be in this movie from seeing the trailers. And I was very apprehensive about that. And I think that what M. Night managed to do um, without showing things on screen, I think what he chose to have be in the imagination of the viewer, I think that is to the benefit of the film. And it's definitely a benefit to me personally. So, yeah, I'm at a high taste with this one. M. Night, of course, does his obligatory cameo in the movie. I won't spoil it's what that so is. It's so funny. I love it. He's so cute. <laughs> but yeah, he is in the movie. Joe, what'd you think about Knock at the Cabin? Okay, so when the first time I saw The Sixth Sense, I was I was in. I was like, this, this guy makes amazing movies. And then uh, Unbreakable did nothing to change that. And then as his movies went on, I, I just the the guy really started to lose his luster with me. And then I think it was 2008 when he when he released The Happening, that movie, like it, it made me like pull up my list of directors that I like and put like a big, bold line through his name. Like I disliked The Happening so much that this is the first M. Night Shyamalan movie I've watched since then. I've I've stayed away from every one of his movies since then. I was like, nope, fuck that. That movie left such a bad taste in his mouth. I'm just out on this. And to the point where even when I was like, I remember the amount of times I sat through the trailer for old in the theater and just crossing my fingers that I wasn't going to end up on that PCL episode and have to fucking watch it and review it. <laughs> <laughs> and so when Knock at the Cabin came around, I heard the first time I saw a trailer for it. Trailer number one is a teaser. It was... It was the perfect trailer for a movie like this, in my opinion. It, it gave just enough of the story away to be interesting. It showed Dave Bautista in it, which I, I'm loving what he's doing as an actor recently. And I'm always looking forward to seeing his new projects and seeing what he's going to bring to the screen. And that first trailer left a lot up to the imagination. You had no idea what the hook was. I had a pretty good idea of what was going on with it. And then the second trailer dropped and they just gave away the farm. They told you straight out what all the beats were in this movie, what the threat was to this family, what their predicament was, what they were going to have to do to get out of it. And then I get to the theater and I sit down and I watch it. And the whole movie is basically that second trailer. Um, I, I do feel like this movie suffers from the marketing that they did for it. They gave way too much away in that second trailer. They they should have left a lot more up to the imagination, especially once you go through it and you find out it doesn't have the M. Night Shyamalan twist that you've come to expect at this point in seeing his movies. And But man, the Dave Bautista performance in this was great. I've never seen him put in a performance like this. It was, it was very subdued, but it was still a very, very good performance. I mean, to say it's subdued is, isn't a, a bad thing in the way I'm saying it, but he, he plays a much more reserved, quiet character. Who's just trying as hard as he can to make connections with people that he knows going in is an impossible ask that he's not going to be able to make connections with these people. And, and like you had said, I, I kind of figured out what was going on with the twist with them. I mean, if you want to really call it a twist, but like kind of the reality of what these people visiting the cabin, I figured that out. Like almost right away, I was like, I think that's what this is going to be. Um, I hadn't made the connection in my mind about comparing it to the love story in The Last of Us. But, dude, when when you compare these two, this movie really suffers from that because it, they did a little bit of work to flush out this relationship between this this couple. Um, they, they show you flashbacks of some important parts in their lives and what has led up to this point here. Um, 
But man, if you're comparing it to episode three of The Last of Us, like it is, it's it doesn't do a good job of showing a love story. Um, I, I did think the little girl uh, playing Wen was um, was really good. I think child actors can be a real hit or miss. And M. Night Shyamalan seems to be pretty good at, at picking out child actors overall. And th- this was another one where it was a good child actor. I really bought what she was doing. Um, I liked the the differences between the 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 characters that are that are in the couple with, because they have such different personalities where one is much more inclined to be a believer, whereas the other is much more inclined to be a skeptic. And they give you just enough of their past to kind of give you a little bit of an understanding of why these characters are the way they are. But when man, like they, they use that, um, that boogie shoes song in this uh, movie a lot. And when the, when the credits hit for this, I was the first one in my theater to stand up and put on my boogie shoes and get the fuck out of that auditorium. <laughs> so I have no idea if there's any sort of credit scene or anything like that. As soon as it said directed by M night, I was, <laughs> I was up and gone too. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I was walking, I was out. Um, this is a movie that I would go back and watch again. Uh, this has broken the the M Night Shyamalan hate in my heart because, uh, uh, like, I I heard that Split was really good. I heard Glass had kind of mixed reviews. Those those are uh, a couple of his that I I do want to go back and revisit or not revisit, but just go back and watch for a first time at some point. Especially because I liked Unbreakable so much. Uh, speaking but of the, Visit, uh, he did a movie called The Visit, and a lot of people like that. I thought it was okay. I didn't love it, but. Yeah. Okay, is that the one where it's kind of like a fairy tale? Yes. Yeah. Okay. It's got okay. the two yeah, kids. Th- yeah. That is another one that I heard some good things about. So I'll put that on my list to check out then. But um, I was worried going into this that it was going to have some vibes from the happening. Um, God, I I just viscerally fucking hate that movie. Um, but but this movie it was it was good for me. It's just a middle of the road taste. It I. Um, the, the the biggest things that suffered from for me is that just the trailer gave everything away. When I was watching this movie, it was almost like I was just sitting there checking boxes. Like, I'm like, okay, now when am I going to see this scene from the trailer? Oh, here it is. And when are we going to see this scene from the trailer? Here it is. And when you give a trailer that, that gives away the whole movie and it, you've essentially got scenes from every act in the movie. It's like, what are you doing? You really got to wonder what the marketing was for this that they're like, yeah, we're just going to tell you the whole plot for this movie. We think the fact that it's in Night Shyamalan, it's going to sell it, and, and you're going to be here, and you're going to watch it. Um, overall, over the years, the guy seems to still be a successful director. His, money, his movies make money, and and I think this one will probably do better than than the average, at least of what he's given us over the last oh fifteen years or so. This movie was a it was a it was it was safe. He didn't take a swing on this one, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't anything very risky in this. Yeah. I listened to him on, oh, I think the Big Picture podcast, and he was talking about how this originally came to him as a script for him to produce, but it had the original ending, and he basically said that, like, the original ending wasn't something for his audience, and so he, you know, he passed on it, he wasn't interested, and then it came back around to him, and they were like, okay, you can make this, and you can do the ending however you want. So... I think that it's very safe for him because it's just it's a straight adaptation. It's just the book. All they did was change the ending. But like we're all saying, like they didn't twist the ending. <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of. I, yeah, I don't really feel like there was a huge twist unless you were the like a book reader. <laughs> and it's like, OK, this is different. So, 
Anyway. I'm kind of curious now, or I want to look it up and see if I can find a YouTube video or something where they tell you what the end of the book is versus yeah. the movie. Yeah. Um, extremely good and cute tiny kid performance in this, though. I loved her. Yeah, I loved the whole opening scene where she's catching crickets and and talking about the differences between them and talking to the crickets in the jar. Yeah, that was cute. <laughs> I thought that her performance was like shockingly nuanced for such a young actor uh, during the reprisal of the Boogie Shoes song. I like I couldn't really believe like how much they were getting across in that scene. It's just the song. It's just how they're using the song and their facial expressions. And it says so much. Yeah, really no, good. absolutely. Um, the other thing I'll say about this movie that it had going for it was that it's it's paced really well. I, I think it was an hour and 40 minutes and this movie really flew by. It didn't really have any parts in it where it felt like a slump. Uh, this movie, it, it starts, um, you know, it starts with the little girl in the woods catching crickets. And then we see Dave Bautista's character. And from there, this thing's off and going and, and it, it really goes in. Um, yeah, the, the, I will say the pacing was very good in this movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't seem like it was uh, too long or too short. I mean, it was good length. I, I was never kind of taken out of the movie. It just it was pretty cut and dry. And I don't think I will watch it again, Joe. I don't think I would have any need to watch it again. Once was enough. It was fine to taste it. I just don't see that I'm going to get anything on a second viewing that's going to enhance my experience at all. So that's where I kind of differ. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go out of my way to watch it, but it's like, say, if my wife wanted to watch it, be like, yeah, I'll sit down and watch this with you. But yeah. I, I don't see this as one that I would spend money on again. Like, it would just have to be on something streaming and it'd have to be situational on a rewatch. But I wouldn't be absolutely opposed to a rewatch where there are some M. Night Shyamalan movies where I, I, I will not rewatch it. Uh, speaking of going to the movies, my movie pass card came in today. Oh, nice. Yeah. I got signed up for the official wait list, so yeah. it sounds like I got my foot in the door. Yeah, the wait list ended, I think, a couple days ago. Um, they contacted me because I was an original member, and so I signed up for it. I have the app on my phone. I'm doing the $10 a month plan that's going to let me watch anywhere from one to three movies, depending on how many credits the movie is. I get 34 credits a month, and credits roll over for at least one month, so you can have a total of 68 credits in a month. Uh, if you didn't use it, I'm using it for the Marcus Theater movies, Joe, because I have the AMC AMC A list. But sometimes I don't want to go to AMC. Sometimes I want to go to Marcus, and sometimes Marcus has theaters that AMC doesn't. So I'll be using it for my Marcus movies. Marcus movies, you know, usually start off at around eleven dollars, unless you're going on a Tuesday, which is five bucks. But for $10 a month, I get one to three movies. And so even if I just use it once, it's basically paid itself off. So I'll be using the movie pass. And I think they have plans anywhere, depending regionally, they're priced regionally uh, where you're located. Plans are anywhere from $10 to $30. Might be a little bit more if you're in a big city. But uh, I will report back on uh, the movie pass and how it's working out for me. So. Um, nice. Yeah. I primarily see things in a, in a Marcus theater. So as soon as you told me that, you know, you're going to be using this at a Marcus theater and then you showed me what the plans were, uh, financially, this just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially like us where we're seeing generally a minimum of one movie a week. Yeah. And and I don't need to go see these things at primetime. I'm fine at catching 
So in, in fact, I like if I'm booking a ticket for like a Saturday or a Sunday, I, I miss the days when I could go to an 8 a.m. showing because I knew nobody else was going to be yeah. in there. <laughs> Yeah, those are nice. COVID kind of ruined those early morning showings, though. I like the rollover of it all, too. It's not like if you don't use it, you lose those. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's key. Yeah. Joe, this is something you put on the list. Pennywise, the story of it, it's looking back on the creation of the 1990 horror miniseries adapted from Stephen King's novel and featuring Tim Curry as the child-eating clown Pennywise. This was a two-night television event that I remember watching back in 1990, and um, I absolutely loved it when I was a kid. I've gone back and rewatched it as an adult. I don't think it really holds up. In my opinion, at least the oh. second part. I was going to say, especially not the second part. It's the second part that's the that that I have a really hard time with. I, I still think the child actors were fantastic in the first part, and I think that Tim Curry's performance was fantastic. But overall, I still I just don't think it holds up. Um, but yeah, Joe, uh, tell us about this because you were the one who put it on the list. So I want you to tell us about it and, and what you thought about the Pennywise, the story of it on Prime Video. Yeah, I, I was using my Just Watch app to to look up something, and it was just in like the suggested results. And when I saw that it was a new one that it just dropped in 2022, I was like, oh, this is pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, I messaged you about it. And man, I remember my mom was reading this novel and she was telling me about how scary it was. And so there's a few times where I got brave and had her read things out loud to me and just absolutely scared the shit out of me. And then when I heard that this miniseries was coming out, I, I couldn't help it. Like my, my curiosity was peaked. I had to see what this was all about. And so, yeah, I watched this with my family when it dropped live and it, it, it scared me so much worse than the book did. Like actually seeing Tim Curry's, performances Pennywise, these kids that were all around my same age, um, like thinking specifically the scene where Eddie has to, he's been in gym class. And so the, 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 the teacher's saying that you're in, you take phys ed, you sweat, you got to take a shower. And so he has to go into that school shower room all by himself. And Pennywise comes out of the drain. Well, when I was in middle school, when this came out, or when I was in elementary school, when this came out, we were in this very old part of the building. And I remember when this classroom I was in, if you had to use the restroom, you wouldn't go out the regular door to the classroom. You'd go out like a back door to the classroom that like led into these old hallways from the original school building that was built in the early 1900s. And you would go down these stairs and there was the old locker room from the old gymnasium that was there in the early 1900s. And the shower room that was in that looked exactly like that scene with the same little drain in the floor and everything. And I remember I'd be in there pissing in a urinal, but the entire time staring over my left shoulder, just hard staring at that drain in the floor, being totally freaked out. Because, I mean, then and now, I've, I've always had a very overactive imagination. And it was just one of those things that came along at the right time. That it connected with me in a way that it both scared the living shit out of me and it also fascinated me. And then by the time I got a little bit older, I got braver. I think it was I was a freshman in high school the first time I read the book. And this is just one of those movies that even though it was a TV miniseries, it was something that I kept going back to over and over again, um, especially the first part. I've watched the first part of it way more than the second part um, in the, the first half of it. It's it 
it's all in when it's all kids and Pennywise is just so much more threatening in the first half. And the second part, he's, he's almost more kind of funny. And then the way the whole movie wraps up is is very disappointing. But but this documentary was fantastic because it goes back and it talks to so much of the original cast, like pretty much everybody who's still left alive. Um, they even talk with Tim Curry. So I thought it was fantastic that they got his take on some of this stuff before he had passed. Um, they also had some some audio interview with Tim Curry from like back when it first came out. And so it was pretty good getting to hear uh, Tim Curry's recollections on it, as well as some of the cast and then talking to the kid actors and and how they connected with their adult counterparts. And it was really funny hearing I think it was Peter O'Toole talking about how the the adults were almost more rowdy than the kids because it was all these adult actors who knew each other and they just, it's just sounded like they had a lot of fun on the set uh, doing this movie. And this is something that, you know, for a TV miniseries, I remember when this came out, that was, there was, it was like Stephen King mania back then where there was, they had like a miniseries of the Tommy knockers that was on TV also. And um, there might've been a, a couple other Stephen King things that were really popular around that time, but it seemed like it was the one that really blew up. Uh, at least with kids around my age. And I feel like this miniseries, it's it's just under two hours long. And I feel like it did such a good job of just capturing that 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 feeling of what the miniseries was like and, and having so much of the cast talking about it and relating stories, uh, showing different scenes from the show as well. This was just a really fantastic trip down memory lane uh, with with this uh, miniseries. Yeah, it reminded me of our uh, my PE teacher who used to dress like a clown and watch us uh, bathe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, that's not true. But uh, our PE teacher, this is true. He, uh, after, after gym class, he would make us all shower and he would watch uh, while sitting in a lawn chair. That's creepy, dude. I, I've heard renditions of that. From lots of people. So it feels like that's just one of those weird gym teacher quirks where it's like, I'm making sure everybody showers. It's like, sure, buddy. Yeah. 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 He was he was a he was a fucking weirdo. Yeah. He had a, he was an alcoholic. So and he had he had uh he had uh he smoked. He 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 was a gym teacher and 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 he had a he had a bush bush uh Shoes. So he'd gotten his shoes from from Bush, like through like their through like their catalog. You get enough Bush points or whatever. And <laughs> oh my god, beer? That's funny. Bush beer. But he couldn't he couldn't show off the Bush label, so he had to put a piece of uh, tape over where it said Bush on his white sneakers. And oh my god, uh, he also wow. uh, he also would smoke in his office when nobody was in there. And his daughters wanted him to quit smoking, so they took all of his cigarettes, and he had, like, this joke, like, this gag gift on his wall, in case of emergency, break glass, and it was a cigarette inside. And we remember going in there and seeing that the glass had been broken. He he broke it and smoked that cigarette. <laughs> that is the face of addiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Bo. I don't know if you're alive or dead. Anyway, he was a prick. 
Anyway, Joe, I, I grew up watching this, and I loved the I loved the movie when I was a kid. Uh, they did talk about uh, the people that are no longer with us. Of course, they talked about Jonathan Brandis, one of the child actors. I remember watching him in uh, Ladybugs, and he was also in Sequest. They, man, oh, I loved Ladybugs. I loved Ladybugs too. Rodney Dangerfield, fantastic movie. Could not make that movie today. With some no. of the jokes in there. But, and it was a kid's movie, and it had Jack Hay in it. Um, I can you believe it was a kid's movie? <laughs> it was a kid's movie, man. Uh, yeah, they did talk about Jonathan Brandis. They talked about him being in Hearts War and his him still having a career. That's one of the reasons he commits suicide, is he was in Hearts War trying to make a comeback into acting, and they cut all of his parts in Hearts War. That's something that they didn't mention in the documentary. You can watch those scenes, I think, on YouTube. But uh, his scenes didn't make it into that Bruce Willis movie, and he, he, he was suffering from depression, and he ended up committing suicide. And 27 years old, it's like another member of the 27 Club. It's super, super fucking sad. Jonathan Brandis, I thought, I thought he was just a, a really good child actor, and it was, a, it was heartbreaking to find out that he had uh, committed suicide. Um, I loved them just basically talking about uh, how they originally had started wanting to do this as an eight episode thing, and then it got knocked down to you know uh, two parts, and um, how they had uh, done the casting and and uh, a, a lot of focus on Tim Curry and, and and the makeup that they used. They they really didn't want to put too much makeup on him. He was like the demon and legend that Tom Cruise movie from the eighties. And he had so much prosthetics on him, and he absolutely hated it. They wanted to see that Tim Curry performance and the way that he could move his face and what a, what a great actor he was, you know, especially in Rocky Horror and stuff like that, that they really wanted to put his performance out there and not for him to be covered up. And it was like he was able to do the performance um, and not be limited by all this prosthetics. It was amazing what he could do. He, he was, he, he, you know, the star of this, and they talked about how, like, in the second part, he's basically taken out of the movie for that fucking spider that they did. And, um, you know, that was one of the biggest downfalls of the, the second part of the movie. Oh, um, yeah. Very lackluster finish. Yeah. But uh, I loved it overall, Joe. I'm going to give it a Tupperware. I think it's like the definitive uh, telling of uh, of how they made this movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was at a Tupperware on this, too. I don't know if I gave my rating when I was... I love seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff with John Ritter. I loved hearing some of the personal stories about John Ritter. The young actor that played the younger version of him was playing with a Game Boy, and John Ritter was like, what is that? And he's like, Tetris. And he's like, what's that? He's never heard of Tetris before. And then John Ritter just took the Game Boy from him and started playing Tetris. He was just like one of the kids hanging out, you know? I yes. loved, loved hearing that about John. I love John Ritter. John Ritter is like one of those personal, comedic heroes for me and he got the you know kind of stretches dramatic acting chops here in this and just and seeing him w playing with the remote control for the spider was a lot of fun um they actually talked to the guy who was like did some of the movements of the spider inside there and he was like oh my god it's basically claustrophobic he had li limited uh vision inside that spider and and it, it, from creature creation to uh, interviews with uh, people that were working on the set to just, I mean, it, it's a fantastic documentary. So it's a Tupperware for me. Melissa, what do you think about it? Yeah, I'll give this a Tupperware as well. I actually haven't seen the It miniseries. 
Um, obviously, Tim Curry's performance as Pennywise is iconic. You don't have to. You don't have to have seen the miniseries to know that. Um, I thought that this was such a fun, well-paced documentary about the making of this miniseries. And the thing, so the two things I knew about this miniseries was that it is not very good, or the ending isn't very good, and Tim Curry's performance. And what I love the most about Pennywise, the story of it, is that they don't really dwell on the fact that this wasn't received very well or doesn't have maybe it was received differently than it's, you know, it's legacy, but they don't talk about the fact that people, it's not well regarded as like a, a good adaptation or like stuck the landing or whatever. The people who made this thing love this thing. And that's what comes out in this documentary. And that's what made it so fun to watch. What do they care? If you know, however long we're like, Oh, it doesn't hold up. The ending's not good. That has nothing to do with how they made it, which was having the most fun and with so much love. When it, when it, I, I, all I remember when it first came out, people did love it though, right, Joe? I mean, that's what I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, everybody was over the moon about it. I've always kind of known that, you know, it didn't hold up or that the ending wasn't good. But the biggest nice part was the ending. That like, wasn't always the case. The biggest part of the, the biggest part of it was the ending. I think everybody was kind of mm-hmm. lit down by the ending and they really got into it. The fact that they kind of just like said peace out to fucking. Tim Curry and then finished it. Yeah, they're like, we would have maybe done that differently. Yeah, <laughs> they they just didn't know how pe- how much people were going to love the performance of, of uh, Tim Curry. I think they should have realized it after they started filming. Like, yeah, they should have realized what yeah. they had while they were editing the thing. Yeah, and and also just the idea of taking like, I I think the the paperback I had of it was like, it was a little over eleven hundred pages. And to condense that down into a four hour movie is the the guy was on the right track to do it for the eight hour adaptation to begin with. And and if they ever do take another crack at this source material, I really hope that that's what they do and they develop it into a TV show instead of trying to go the movie route again. Yeah, I didn't even watch that second part. No, neither did I. I. I heard nothing good about it. And I was like, well, I won't be visiting this. I've already been disappointed by you know a, a part two of a of a it thing before um i i also liked how they weren't afraid to get into discussing some of the controversial stuff in the source material which um <laughs> the source materials definitely got some way controversial stuff from when they were kids the child orgy just say it joe yeah yeah, yeah. Put it on well, tv it's fine not not so much an orgy as like a train <laughs> which is like really fucking wild yeah um but the, that that's one part where if they do adapt this again, feel free to change that shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about uh, icons unearthed the Simpsons. I think this came out last year. They're doing like uh, different. Uh, uh, it's on Vice TV. Um, they're doing different uh, properties that they've done the Simpsons. They've done Star Wars. And I think the current one that they're working on is uh, icons unearthed uh, the Fast and Furious film franchise. And they're kind of like breaking down the history of these movies. Like in the Star Wars one, they do episodes, um, you know, the, 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 original, the original trilogy and then the prequels. And um, it's all coming from uh, Brian Volkweiss, who is the uh, showrunner behind uh, the toys that made us and the movies that made us that are on Netflix. He's now working with Vice TV doing Icons Unearthed. And um, so I've watched the first three episodes of The Simpsons one, 
And um, its cast, crew, and experts detail the secret histories of the most iconic films and television series and icons on Earth. So um, they get into like the, the creation of The Simpsons. They talk about Matt Groening starting off with uh, you know his cartoon strips and things like that, his books, and then going in. Uh, Fox was a new network. They had started just, uh, you know, there was the big three, ABC, NBC, and CBS, and then Fox came on the on the scene. And I remember I was there for the early years. I, was, I remember being very young and uh, married with children coming out and it being very controversial. My parents would not let me watch it. Um, I started to sneak it. <laughs> of course, I started hearing about it, and I started to watch it sneakily, and they didn't know I was watching it. Um, by the time I was a teenager and watching it, I don't think they gave a shit, though. Um, but uh, then they started talking about uh, the Tracy Ullman show, and that, that was my first exposure to The Simpsons. I remember watching the Tracy Ullman show specifically so I could watch The Simpsons shorts, I loved the Simpsons shorts. And when it was announced that it was going to be a series, I was like, like over the moon. I could not wait because I loved the Simpsons. It was just so wild that it was going to be an animated show in primetime because that had not been done since the Flintstones. And uh, I, it was like, that was playground talk, man. Like as soon as the Simpsons came out in 89, I, I, it was playground talk. We were all talking about the Simpsons. And I remember going on family vacations to like certain destinations and there would be people selling Bart Simpson t-shirts that they would airbrush designs on. I had one. I had Bart Simpson shirts. I, I remember when the Bartman song came out, I was listening to that like crazy. I was just a huge fan of The Simpsons when it first came out. And I think I watched like the first like six seasons before I kind of like got burnt out on it. And I came back and then I remember watching The Simpsons movie and loving that. And they've just been I mean, what is it like 34, 35 seasons now? They've just been pop culture icons. They're, they're huge. And this just goes over the creation and uh, stories from the people that were involved. No interviews with Matt Groening and some of the other people that were involved, but still, it was uh, interesting to hear from the producers. I, episode three, they talked about the writer's room. I knew that Conan O'Brien was part of the writer's room of The Simpsons at one time. I also knew that he was a, a writer for SNL at one time. I um, I remember, you know, of course, watching Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Late Night with Conan O'Brien, when it premiered, I watched the first episode. I was there watching it live when it first fucking dropped. And I was like, this guy's fucking hilarious. And then I would go back and watch old episodes of SNL, and he would be playing, like, little bit parts and sketches. There was, like, some part, like, certain sketches, they'd have, like, people in the crowd asking questions during, like, a star's monologue. And every once in a while, Conan O'Brien would pop up. And I'd be like, oh, my God, that's Conan O'Brien. And then found out that he was a writer on SNL. But they, no interviews with Conan, but they did talk with a lot of the other writers, um, they broke down how it moved from Sunday nights and competed against uh, the Cosby show, which was just an insane thing at the time. I was like, they're going up against the Cosby show. Cosby show always beat it in ratings. But uh, the uh, the character of uh, Dr. Was it Dr. Hibbert was created out of the mold of 
of uh, Bill Cosby's uh, Theo Huxtable. And in that first episode where he appears, like they even show his house and it looks like the Huxtable family house and his family looks like the Huxtables. And and um, that was just a dig at the Cosby show. But uh, I'm through three episodes and I'm absolutely loving it. I will be finishing this and I'll probably will definitely start the Star Wars one and probably watch the Fast and Furious one as well. I love Brian Volk Weiss, uh, you know, everything that he's done pretty much. I think it's been fantastic. I didn't know he was working on new stuff for Vice TV, so I wanted to talk about this. I'm at a Tupperware for this one so far. I think it's fantastic. Um, Joe, what'd you think about Icons and Earth, The Simpsons? Uh, yeah, I've watched all six episodes, and I absolutely love it. This is an easy Tupperware for me, and it's it's like almost a six-hour documentary when when you really break the whole thing down. And uh, I felt like it went by really, really fast as well. Uh, lots of really good stories in here. There's so much behind the scenes stuff about this that that I didn't know anything about. I mean, this first premiered when when I was younger. I remember I remember being in Cub Scout meetings and like talking with, with other scouts about about The Simpsons. Like, oh, my God, did you watch this? Can you believe this show? It's just so crazy. And I had a I had a framed Bart Simpson poster on my wall for many years. Um, I by the time I got into high school and and like young adulthood and stuff, it'd been many years since I'd watched The Simpsons at that point. And then it it wasn't until my kids discovered them, and then they did a huge uh, deep dive because almost all the episodes are on Disney Plus, and they watched all of it. And so that's when I feel like I watched the most amount of Simpsons regularly because it was just like for for like a solid month. It was like if you just walked out in the living room, chances are is like the kids are out there watching The Simpsons. And so getting to see it again as an adult, but then also kind of experiencing it like in seeing how my kids were experiencing it and how is, you know, how much they were loving it and everything. It just made me fall in love with The Simpsons all over again. And it is one of those shows that I can't believe it's been going for as long as it has. And, and it's still successful and I had no idea all the different iterations it's gone through with different showrunners and how each showrunner would really only stick around for for a year or two max to to kind of get their stamp on it and then move on. And the 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 evolution of these showrunners, how some of them had started off just as as, you know, freelance writers that were coming in that weren't even part of the staff. And then years later, they're actually running the show. And then all all of all of the back and forth with like the animation studio and issues going on with that. And then how it eventually moved to a different studio, the, the stuff with it being made and, and, and drawn and put together by, by animation studios in Korea as well. I didn't know anything about that. Uh, it just, the, the first episode also was like a really great history lesson on the startup of Fox studios, which I think was really, really cool. Um, but yeah, all six episodes of this was great. I loved every one of them. This is something that I will definitely go back and watch again some point in the future. Um, I, I absolutely loved this and it made me want to go back and just start rewatching the Simpsons again. And God, I just wish I had that sort of time on my hands to jump back into something with 30 plus ep- or 30 plus seasons. So many, but, so many guest stars in so many episodes. It's unreal. I, you know, like from Mickey Rooney to Gary Coleman to I think like the Foo Fighters, like any guest cameo appearance you could ever think of has been on The Simpsons. It's wild. Yeah. 
yeah, they hold the record for most amount of like guest appearances as well. So I mean, it's the the show's a a, a pop culture phenomenon, and it, at this point, I hope it just keeps going. <laughs> it's like we've gone thirty plus seasons. How much longer can this thing go? Yeah, um, I, I think throughout the years past. There's been lots of people out there that have been wrong saying, like, oh, it's not going to go much longer. And at this point, I feel like Simpsons has been on the air for nearly as long as I've been alive. Same. Because I was was definitely still in, like, the single-digit age range when this dropped. Um, I I don't remember. I I don't remember if I watched it on the Tracy Ullman show or not, because I'm pretty sure my first um, exposure to The Simpsons was when – they were more like they are in the show, whereas from what they were showing from the the Tracy Ullman sketches, it, it was a very different yeah. incarnation of the show, and and it grew into what it is once it it got its own thing. Um, they were uh, they were was... they were very short, and I I remember watching like I love sketch comedy when I was a kid, so I did watch Tracy Ullman for the sketch comedy, but I kept coming back for the Simpsons shorts. Oh, uh, the other thing I didn't know about was I didn't know the whole story about how they had just been waiting for a long time for these finished episodes of the first season to come back from Korea. And one of the directors they had was thinking that, oh, he's going to put his own stamp on it. And when they all watched it, they were like, oh, my God, this is terrible. What have we done? And then they were just on very thin ice until that next episode came in and they were like, this is the show we're envisioning. And then they they eventually had to completely redo what what they called it the Butterworth incident. Yeah, I think that's what they called it. Yeah, <laughs> that, that whole thing I thought was really fascinating. But I, I loved how each episode of this is broken down to where the first one's really kind of an introduction, telling you about the first season, and then it's like, okay, we're going to give you the writer's perspective, we're going to give you the animator's perspective, we're going to give you the different showrunner's perspective. For for a six part docu series, they did a very good job of breaking it up into manageable chunks, to where you could almost jump on this thing in at any point in the documentary. And if you're a fan of The Simpsons, like even if you're just starting on episode six, you're probably still going to get a lot out of it. Um, that being said, it, it does you you know it, it is better to watch this whole thing in order. But man, a six part docu series on The Simpsons, it is fantastic beginning to end i really loved it and the deal that james the, well the power that james l brooks had in in television at that time i mean this guy is behind some of the, like the the biggest sitcoms ever you know taxi i mean this guy is just a like a legend in uh, tv sitcoms and the power that he had in their contract that the studio like the uh, the executive studio executives could not get involved in the creative process. And that's still a deal that's there till this, to this day. So they control the Simpsons. The only thing that they have to worry about, of course, is probably like, you know, the FCC and stuff like that. But as far as studio execs, they have no say on the show. And I think that that was yeah. brilliant to, to have, you know, Brooks be that guy to kind of like, you know, give them that control and that power over the show. Yeah. No notes. And, you know, you would think that other executives would look at that and be like, wow, this is this show. The Simpsons is like the longest running sitcom that's ever been on the air. Huge pop cultural phenomenon has been for decade after decade. And it's gotten that far with no notes from executives. Maybe maybe stick to your numbers and spreadsheets, guys, and let the creatives do handle the creative shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Melissa, what do you think? So, <clears throat> excuse me. I 
was not able to watch this on Vice TV. My like computer was being weird and it wasn't loading. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to buy these on Amazon. They were like a dollar ninety nine, whatever. So I watched two of these episodes and total Tupperware. I was having so much fun with this, but I was like, I'm getting to the point where I should have just bought the whole season and I didn't do that. So I'm going to stop watching this and I'm going to start watching The Simpsons because I've actually never watched The Simpsons at all. Um, I don't think I'd ever seen a full episode. And now I've seen two. So Tupperware, this Vice documentary series and Tupperware, the first two episodes of The Simpsons. That's just got it's got to be an age thing because it was, you know, this I guess I, it just came out at the perfect time for me. You know, I was I was I think that my dad watched it when I was yeah. growing up. But I, and probably because of that, I thought that it I wouldn't be interested in it because gotcha. I didn't have the same taste as my dad when I was a child. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and it just it was yeah. it was a cool it was a cartoon that I could watch with my dad when I was growing up because uh-huh. my dad did watch it. So it would be me and my dad. And I think my sister watched it as well. So it'd be all of us watching The Simpsons. It was just yeah, it was a I mean, and they talked about that Lisa episode where, you know, she with the jazz player. And I remember that being like such an iconic and wonderful episode, Joe. Oh, yeah. And I remember the one with her teacher also that was voiced by Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Do they talk about, because I've only watched the first three episodes, do they ever talk about Phil Hartman? Uh, they talk about him a little bit, just as as one of the regular contributors that really made the show what it was. But they didn't get too far into, you know, like his death and stuff like that. It was... Have- from what I remember. Has there ever been a Phil Hartman documentary? I don't know if there has or not. Man, there should be because from what he did on on Saturday Night Live and then with all the different sitcoms he was in and then the voice acting work he did, that is that is some really fertile ground for a great documentary that will have a absolutely heartbreaking ending. There's one called The Last Days of Phil Hartman, which I think I have seen that one. That came out in 2019, but I just want to see... I don't want to see the last days. I want to see the life of Phil Hartman. It, that's what I want to see as well. I want to see like a celebration of him and don't focus so much on his tragic end because yeah. that that shouldn't be the biggest part of his story. I want interviews with, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse castmates that he, you know, because I remember him. I first remember him as Captain Carl on Pee Wee's Playhouse. And then he moved on to, you know, SNL. And, you know, then, of course, you know, he left SNL, uh, took his own series, news radio, and then, you know, did movies. I remember him in Small Soldiers and he was in other movies. I would love to see a documentary with people that knew Phil closely. You know, Joe Rogan talks about him quite a bit on his podcast. I always love hearing Phil Hartman stories. Um, just seems like a great guy, man of a million voices. The guy was just so fucking talented. And there's characters that they did uh, that he did on SNL that like nobody else would be able to do. Like caveman lawyer. Like, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? Like nobody else would be able to do caveman lawyer. It's Phil Hartman. He fucking he killed it, man. That was the first SNL character of his I was thinking of, too. <laughs> I didn't know that Jack Handy... Didn't they say Jack Handy was a writer on The Simpsons? Did they oh, say what? that... I don't know. Well, do you remember Do you remember Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy? Oh, yeah. 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 
But I believe in they wishing met, peace for my children, but they, not my children's children because they, children shouldn't be having sex. They, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> we just talked about the orgy scene from it. Um, oh, no. <laughs> they'd mentioned Jack Handy in the third episode. Jack Handy's. Yeah, I'm Googling it right now. Hmm. I don't know if he was. Or if they just mentioned him because he was part of that uh, magazine that came out. Anyway. Yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. I think Skinamarink on Shutter. This is also in theaters. Two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing, and all the windows and doors in their home have vanished. It's a Canadian experimental horror film written and directed by Kyle Edward Ball in his feature directorial debut. And uh, man, did this movie fucking suck! Yeah, it did. Um, I've actually been quite perplexed by the amount of positive reviews I've said online or seen online. Um, I gave this movie exactly 30 minutes of my life. And the first 24 of that were very open minded where I was I was looking at the screen. I was intentionally not making eyes at my wife silently saying, are you fucking getting the same shit vibe off this that I am? And then at like 24 minutes in, I paused it and I looked at it and I said, thoughts. And she's like, yeah, well, I don't know what this is. And so then I played it again. But then for the next six minutes, we were both on our phone. And so then I just shut it off at 30 minutes. And I was like, we have better things to do with our time. Let's, you know, let's watch extra. Let's watch uh, Extraordinary instead. Um, yeah. But yeah, I gave this 30 minutes. I, I, fa- I think that this movie's unwatchable. The, 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 the experiment in this, it did not work for me. I understand that for like a, a niche horror audience, uh, especially for like independent filmmaking, there's people out there that really loved this. I question whether they actually liked it or if they're just bandwagoning because from <laughs> what I saw, this movie is absolute shit. And and I feel like this filmmaker, for as much as he's being celebrated right now, I feel like he's selling a, a the emperor a brand new set of clothes. Yeah, and I I just I don't know. I I don't see how how people really honestly enjoyed this. Yeah, that's my take on this. This was a a huge tossing for me. Kyle Edward Ball. He he dropped the ball in his name with this fucking movie, Joe. It was (laughs) fucking it was a turd. Uh, This movie, I don't even know what the fuck was happening in this fucking movie. If you go to if you go to uh, the Wikipedia page, they have it all like uh, uh, mapped out, like what happened in this movie. And I got nothing. Everything I'm reading in it, I'm like, things happen yeah, in this movie. yeah, things happen in this movie. They're 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 <laughs> going over the things that happen in this movie in the Wikipedia page, and I'm like, oh okay, I don't remember seeing any of that, but okay, uh, it's just a bunch of like ki- it's kids talking, and you can't make out what they're saying half of the time. You don't really, you don't, you just, you, it's, it's dark rooms. Yeah, it's like just. <laughs> Angles, And if there are things happening, they're happening to the edge of the screen or completely off screen. And the kids are like um, unintelligible to the point that there are subtitles sometimes. Sometimes. But not every time. Not every time. Like, I think that it's weird that it's not consistent subtitles. Um, I didn't see this in theater because I was scared to. 
and they weren't because you we mentioned earlier in this episode there's not as many um like early t- early screening times especially for a movie like this they're not playing this movie at one in the afternoon so i didn't see it in the theater and then when it finally was on this list it wasn't showing in any of my theaters that i could see it so i did the best i could and made my house dark still in the day because i was scared at this time remember uh, turned my phones off, like told the people I would be unreachable as if I was going to a movie and I did my best, but it just didn't work. Like I'm going to give this movie a low taste it for one reason, which is that I actually have really enjoyed reading the reviews and the thoughts of people who did get something out of this movie. I think that there are people that have really interesting takes on this and I have really enjoyed that they enjoyed themselves and had a nice thought experiment. That wasn't exactly my experience, but like I'm glad I watched it and I appreciate the opportunity to like read other people's experiences. So for that, I'll give it a little taste it. But I mean, this is a, this is a struggle. Like I find it really hard to like shutter even tells you it's a viral sensation. This cannot be going viral on shutter watches. This has to be like a crowd theater experience. That's getting people like really into this thing. I, I, I'm not glad that I watched this and I, <laughs> I don't appreciate the positive reviews because those people are fucking liars. And <laughs> <laughs> this movie is fucking terrible. It's a toss. It. It's the worst movie we've ever fucking reviewed on PCL. <laughs> this is, this is it's fucking like the least movie movie. There's like. There's no yeah. things. <laughs> like, I could make this. I don't know how else even of describe it. I could fucking make this movie. Give me an afternoon, and I could make this fucking movie. I know they were talking about how it cost him fifteen thousand dollars to make it. I'm like, how? How? This looks like when you're like trying to like surreptitiously like record what somebody's saying on your iPhone, and so you're just kind of have the <laughs> yeah. video on, but you're just holding it in your hand, and it's kind of facing off to the side. And, but but instead, it's like instead of an iPhone, you're actually watching it on like a shitty ass VHS or something. Like yeah. That. Like this was like, Melissa, like when you were saying that you were enjoying reading the positive reviews, I had like the opposite. Like it made me think of the episode of South Park where the pretentious people are farting into champagne glasses and then huffing it. <laughs> That's the reviewers for this movie. Yeah, man. It. It's like you're huffing your own farts here. You guys, it's it's like group delusion or whatever the fuck you call that when a whole bunch of people are all like experiencing the same delusion because anybody's like oh this movie was fantastic i'm just so excited for this director that he got to go out there and now he's gonna get now this movie's a success and so he's gonna he's gonna go out there and do more stuff and it's like well i hope he actually gives us a good fucking movie for his follow-up because this was (laughs) This was not good. I tell you one thing. I don't care what his fucking follow-up movie is. I'm not watching it. Never again. <laughs> I will fool me once. You know, yeah, you know the quote. Oh, for sure. Dude. <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that as well, that, that we won't be seeing his follow-up on a future good pop. F- no, <laughs> no. Fuck this pretentious fucking experimental horror. This was garbage. This was straight trash. And uh, save your fucking money. Don't go to the theater to see it. If you have a Shutter subscription, reach out to Shutter and be like, "I can't believe that you have this on your fucking service." I'm half tempted to t- cancel Shutter because you have it on there. This movie is absolute garbage. There's nothing redeeming about it. 
And uh, I would be embarrassed to put out a review saying that I enjoyed this film. I'm just being – I'm going to be blunt with you. I, I don't care. If, if you're listening to this and you like this movie, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Why are you listening to this podcast? You should be listening to something completely different. This is not the podcast for you. This, I hated this fucking movie, Joe. I fucking hated it. Yeah. Yeah, As no, I, I was. I was, it, I was like, this is not going to go over well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just kept waiting for something to happen. And then after 30 minutes, nothing was happening. I shut it off. I read reviews. And a lot of the reviews I read was like, you, you like, if you've watched 10 minutes of this movie, you've watched the whole thing. Pretty much. And I'm like, okay, well, I've watched three times that. So. I'm out. I would rather get a fucking prostate exam in a back alley than watch this fucking movie again. <laughs> no lube prostate exam. He's yeah. going in dry. Right. And I don't even know if the guy's got a fucking doctorate. I don't know. I don't know who's fucking doing this prostate exam on me right now. It's something's going down. This movie was true strange trash. I fucking yeah. hated it. And and here's the thing that that bothers me the the most about this is that this is it's this experimental horror independent movie and it's like I think that overall the word of mouth people being like this is great you should really check it out I mean I want to tell you it's not for everybody but you should check it out I think that in the long run that's going to do damage to this genre where the next time somebody tells me that they want me to watch an experimental indie horror film i'm immediately gonna think of skinner inc and go uh fuck that i have way better things to do with my time the last time i watched an experimental independent horror movie it was a waste of time so i yeah i don't know i don't i don't i really don't see what the people who thought this was good saw in it um it was it was absolutely unwatchable to me yeah I, I i i i stuck with it for the first 45 minutes and then after that joe i was like okay I'm going to fast forward a little bit. And then after that, after I watched like another 20, I was like, okay, I'm going to fast forward to the last 15 and just fucking, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this to myself anymore. I can't watch this. This is unwatchable. It is so bad. Absolute toss it. Melissa, you should be, you should be ashamed giving us a low taste at, you should be ashamed giving a low taste that based on reviews. You had more enjoyment. You can't shame me. Yeah, I, you should be. You should be. You should be ashamed. I should be a lot of things. <laughs> I'm concerned about your self care. Are you really taking good care of yourself, Melissa? Yeah. I'm taking such good care of myself that like I'm just finding enjoyment reading other people's reviews of this movie. That's how chill and cared for I am. See, that's the thing though. Um, like you didn't even need to watch this movie. You could have just read the reviews. You could have saved just Yeah. That is true. Yeah. That is true. The reviews are not a companion to the movie. It's not necessary yeah, not necessary reading. I just like to give a rating that reflects like my personal experience watching this thing. Did I really enjoy my time watching the movie? Not really, but I have gotten enjoyment out of the experience. So, what is it? <laughs> I do not. If you want to watch a good weird ass horror movie, go watch Infinity Pool instead. Yes. That's the other movie I've been too scared to see. <laughs> Oh no! Watch oh, you don't it. need to be scared of it. Yeah. It's, it's not scary horror. It's it's 
what the fuck did I just watch? This movie's going to make me think for the next 48 hours about it. And it's, it's nothing. To, yeah, yeah, it's nothing I to where you need to go. I'm excited to catch that one now. Mia Goth is great in that movie. And it's nothing where it's like after you, the movie's over, it's nothing to like, ah, I better go read reviews and see what other people think about this. I knew that I fucking loved that movie. I fucking <laughs> <Yeah>. knew it. Unless <laughs> <sighs> well, I'm just giving you shit. I'm not worried. (laughs) (laughs) You may never join us again on an episode, but you know, whatever. Stick to your stick to your fucking skinnamarink guns. If I was out here lying about my reviews, you would say the same thing to me. If I changed my review, you would be like, oh, you're a pussy. You can't even stand by your own review. You're probably right. I'd be like, oh, look at you. (laughs) (laughs) You you fucking caved. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to Brian over there mansplaining why this movie's garbage. You're entitled to your opinion, and you know what? If if the if outside forces affected it to a low taste, that you got a kick out of that, then I I will let it slide. I'm the bitch backtracking. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about something that I hope you all did enjoy. Let's talk about. Listen to you squealing over there. <laughs> The announcement for Skinamarink 2, yes. <laughs> Skinamarink 2, Electric Boogaloo is hitting theaters. I heard he filmed it in a fucking, t- on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> the curious day of the week. Everybody knows it. Skinamarink 2 was filmed in the, in the trunk of a Honda Accord. <laughs> <laughs> he just hit record, tossed it back. He just there. hit record and then went out for a fucking Tuesday, you know, morning drive. <laughs> There's three people in the cabin of the car talking. Yeah. You can't really understand what they're saying. I think I see a tire iron. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Kyle Edward Ball. Get the fuck out of here. Anyway, let's talk about Extraordinary on Hulu. Set in the UK, Extraordinary is centered around a group of 25-year-olds in a world where everyone has powers except Jen. Much the same energy as Sex Education and Dairy Girls, it shows uh, mostly real-life situations turned up a notch thanks to shape-shifting, super-strength, teleportation of flight. Uh, I'm not familiar with anybody in this cast. I, I had seen them in other things, just didn't realize it. But anyway, in this world, you've got a world that uh, is dominated by people that have superpowers. On their 18th birthday, these people acquire a superpower. And uh, the person that we're following here is Jen, who on her 18th didn't get a superpower. She's now 24, 25, and her superpower still hasn't come through. And so it's about her navigating this world. Uh, She's got a couple of roommates, um, one who has the power to basically be like a uh, a vessel for people that have died. So she can uh, like pull anybody that has died, pull them into her body and they can talk through her. And uh, her boyfriend can turn back time. And and it's a lot about Jen dating and navigating her early 20s. We get to see her go out on dates. One of the guys she goes on a date, w- date with has the power. If he touches someone, they come immediately. So they have an orgasm. 
And, uh, you know, she's stuck in like this fucking relationship where the guy is basically using her for sex. She's basically like a booty call. And then, you know, he can ghost her and uh, at times and uh, he's, you know, seeing other people. But she's hung up on him. Anyway, I God damn it. I watched it's eight episodes. I watched all eight and I fucking love this show. It's one of the best fucking shows I've ever seen. It's a great comedy. Um, this is an absolute Tupperware. Extraordinary is extraordinary. It's so fucking good. It's so well written. Uh, the comedy's fantastic. Uh, I I'll have you. Oh God, the the, the character that uh, the character the Catman uh, Jizz Lord. Oh my God, <laughs> what a great character. He looks like if Robert Pattinson was. Daniel Radcliffe, like if those two just like boom, you know, (laughs) that's a really good comparison. Yeah, he's 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 but he's so good in the role. He's basically he's a he's a guy whose power is he can turn into a fucking cat. But he he'd been turned into a cat for three years and finally came out of it. And now that he's back as a man, he's suffering some for, for, from some sort of like amnesia. He doesn't remember who he was and he's just trying to learn about being a human being again. And he's trying to figure out the mystery of his past. And oh, my God, this show is just so bizarre and it's so fun. Jen, had, her family is like uh, her mother. Um, her father died. Her mother remarried, married some other, somebody else. She has a half sister and her half sister has this amazing superpower and Jen of course doesn't have hers yet her mother is always disappointed in her so there's that dynamic and that's a lot of fun to explore I oh god I just I love the show I love everything about it this is the best thing that I watched on the list this week extraordinary I had to finish all eight episodes I could not stop watching this I was telling people about this like you gotta watch this this is so good I would watch the next episode and just be laughing. I loved it. Absolute Tupperware. Melissa, I know you're chomping at the bet for Extraordinary. What'd you think? Oh, my God. I fucking love this. The highest of Tupperwares. This is my first favorite show of the year. Um, I do this thing when I watch TV shows that are just so good and I love them so much. I'll finish them and get sad and just start them over again. I have almost seen this entire season twice now. Because I just watched all eight episodes and then I just missed these characters and like missed the jokes and the tone of this world. So I just said, fuck it, I'm going to watch it again. Um, It's so good. I think everybody should watch it, especially because it gets right into the comedy, like the flavor of comedy and like the ridiculous shit that they're going to do within like the first 10 minutes so you will know immediately if this is your new favorite show or not (laughs) because Mm -hmm. she goes in there for that job interview and like imagine if the person who was interviewing you for a job had the superpower to make you tell them things (laughs) like this is not a scenario in which you do not want a filter (laughs) Oh, it was so good. And she was talking about how she tried to, like, masturbate that morning and couldn't come yes, or some she shit. Was like, I slept, she's like, I ended up sleeping late because I couldn't fall asleep. And I was trying to, it took me too long to, to try to come. So that's how I ended up staying up too late. <laughs> the woman that's interviewing her has an eye patch. And, of course, she has to ask her, like, what's going on behind that eye patch? Yeah, do you have any <laughs> questions for me? Do you have a weird hole under there? Is it a weird hole? <laughs> So good. 
Oh, it's really, really great. I loved it so fucking much. The the superhero tryouts that that the one character, the boyfriend has, it kind of reminded me of like the scene from Mystery Men, but it's Oh, and then when she fucking when when her friend is having a bad day, so her friend who's like the medium that can like pull in like the spirits, when she pulls in Hitler and they basically are just prank calling Hitler <laughs> on the other end is so fucking funny. When the superhero team, when they're going in and they're trying to get into this guy's house because he's locked himself out and the, there's a guy that can phase through walls and he's phasing through the wall and he doesn't realize that the wall's as thick as it is and he gets stuck. And, but he has to phase through the wall naked and his ass is hanging out of the wall. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm fucking dying. Oh, my God. Anyway, Joe, what did you think about Extraordinary? Oh, yeah. I love this, dude. This was a Tupperware for me as well. Um, I had no idea that the show was going to go as hard as it did with its raunchy humor. And it, it just totally hit that. Just just hit that level of comedy for me to where I was in from the very start. I was like, oh, these are the sort of jokes we're going to be making. Oh, fantastic. And just the whole world they set up. It's for something to be this silly, but then also go as as hard into like the tv ma like sexual like crude humor that they do it's it's a really really good combination and it works really well with this world it's just such a fun concept that these people when they turn 18 they're going to get just some sort of power and they have no idea and you know this is the 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 theme of this story is very much grounded in in the real world that it's somebody who feels like they're kind of stuck and going nowhere in the world and they feel like they don't have their parents' approval, but they got the love of friends and they're just going along and doing the best they can. You know, that's something that works in almost any medium and to put it in a show where people have superpowers, but she's not getting them. And with just all the crazy scenarios and everything they get into, uh, the, the eight episodes on this went by so fast. I loved all the different characters. Um, the the show for for being as silly and irreverent as it is also has a lot of heart. There's there's lots of moments in this where you're really going to be feeling for these characters and the different things that they're going through, and the the different things they do to cope with what they're going through as well. Um, I loved it. I can't wait for the second season. And this is something that I'm going to go back and watch probably again and again because it, it's just fantastic popcorn television. It's very funny. It's got lots of good heart in it, and um, you know, it's it's got very interesting characters. This doesn't feel like any other show that's on television right now. I agree, man. Uh, it better get a season two renewal. Uh, I know that it has one. Fantastic, because I know. Oh, good. Hulu just canceled reboot, which was a great show, um, and uh, uh, I couldn't believe they canceled. That. I couldn't either. Paul Ryan. All the word. Yeah. I've never heard a single negative thing about that show. Me either. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. But yeah, Tupperware the fuck out of Extraordinary. Great fucking show. Watch it. Do yourself a favor and watch it. If you like raunchy humor, if you like super superpowers, and uh, watch it. It's so good. There's nothing like it, like you said, Joe. We're going to take a break. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right. We'll be right back. Cinefied. Verb. Past tense. The act of being enlightened and knowing what movie to watch next.
Cinefy.com is your destination for movie, television, documentary, and short reviews. Released every week by writers who love movies like moviegoers love popcorn. Cinefied is here to make sure no one is wasting time or money where they shouldn't be. After all, you have to be able to buy your popcorn and eat it too. So come visit us, read our reviews, and get Cinefied. Cinefied.com, enlightening moviegoers since 2018. Alright, hey, we're back. It is now time for the Pop Culture Leftovers News. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. It's a leftover news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangster as fuck, yo. It's gangster as fuck, yo. Yeah, news from Cinema Blend. Uh, Avatar The Way of Water finally gets knocked off. Being the uh, top movie at the box office this week. Knock at the cabin and 80 for Brady. Took down Avatar after seven weeks. Seven weeks, top of the charts. And, uh, yeah, I think it not, uh, Knock at the Cabin had $14.2 million. Uh, 80 for Brady had 12.5, and Avatar pulled in another 10.8 million dollars. My God, everybody thought I was crazy when I said that Avatar: The Way of Water was going to be huge. It, I, I'm telling everybody, I, everybody that we had on these episodes, when I would say that, they were like trying to question me, like I don't think it can do it, blah blah blah. I never had any doubt that this movie was going to make a fuck ton of money. Never a doubt. Everybody thought I was crazy. Now they know what. Now they know. Now, and Jake, uh, not Jake, Joe, I feel like I get no credit. No credit for being the guy that was saying this all along, man. I really, you know, no credit. People, people will always call me out when I'm wrong, but when I'm right, nobody's coming around knocking at my cabin, letting me know how fucking right I was. You're not getting those emails and messages being like, holy shit, you were right. Oh, you were right, Brian. Wow, never should have doubted Cameron or you. No, I don't get those emails, Joe. Yeah. Oh, oh, Brian, you being a little bitch? Yeah, I'm being a little bitch. There you go. Being a little bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you'll get emails about that. Yeah. Yo, you being a little bitch, Brian. Sorry, sorry we didn't fucking, you know, coddle you when you were right. Mm. <laughs> I guarantee if it wouldn't have made that money, I would have been getting those fucking emails. Eh, hey, you were wrong. For sure. You were wrong, motherfucker. You'd have been getting mentioned in tweets. Yeah. <laughs> Avatar, the way of water, bombed. Blah, blah, blah. I would have been fucking hearing it. <laughs> At PC Leftovers, Jake is $20? Yeah. Yeah, when are you going to give Jake his $20? <laughs> yeah, but when. Doesn't he owe you $20 and chili? No, no. I if I if he would have won, I would have had to make him chili. Okay, that's what it was. I yeah. I was confused. Yeah. So Jake, Jake goes without chili, and I'm still waiting on my twenty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Megan pulled in another three point eight million though. Jake, uh, Joe. God, I'm calling you Jake now. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved, dude. I, I'm looking forward to seeing Megan again. Yeah. Um, not quite so much that I'm going to go see it in the theater, but when it's out on streaming, I'm I'm going to be watching it again right straight away. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. What do we got here? News from uh, Bloomberg. Yeah. So I was fucking right about Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> How much is it pulled in? It's over two billion. Last time I checked, it was two point two. Let me go to box office mojo. Yeah. 
Let's do a search for Avatar, The Way of Water. It's currently at, yeah, two, uh, they, they got it at 2.1, uh, 2.17. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's going to hit, it'll, it'll probably hit 2.2 easily. Damn, that's impressive, dude. Uh-huh. James Cameron, you can't count the guy out. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. He just he hey, he knows that formula for how to make box office gold. He uh-huh. does it again and again. Uh-huh. It's crazy. Anyway, uh, news from Bloomberg: Disney explores the sale of more films and TV series to rivals. This makes sense. This just makes sense. Walt Disney exploring. Uh, more licensing of its films and television series to m- rival media outlets as pressure grows to curb the losses in its streaming TV business. I think this is what they've got to do. I really do. I think with all these streaming services coming out, they were all like, let's take all of our content and put it on this one fucking service. And they're finding out that the old model of farming this shit out to other, you know, other people that are wanting to buy it up is it's more profitable. So, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see what projects move over to other services. But I can see movies like Home Alone. Um, you know, I, I, I can see like movies from their Fox, their Fox movies. Exactly. Moving over to, to different services like, you know, Stars wants to get Home Alone on their service right around Christmas time. You know, I can see that being something that they're wanting to do. Uh, don't they? Uh, do they own Die Hard now? I don't know. Ooh, I'd have to look that yeah, up. Yeah, probably wrong. But anyway, yeah, they're going to be. It sounds like in order to be profitable and to make some money back, recoup it, and 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 keep their streaming service alive and profitable, they're going to have to start farming and selling some of this shit out to to other media outlets. It makes sense, man. I just. I think everybody with the pandemic was like, let's start up our own fucking thing, and then they realized, like, oh my god. We can't we can't keep making these shows and losing money if we're just not I don't even Netflix is going to ha- even Netflix has now gone to ad supported shit um, because it's just hard to you hit a wall. You hit a wall with these streaming services as far as subscribers goes and um, you just can't sustain the output of like the money that they're putting into these series. And it just makes sense. So, yeah, it looks like Disney's going to be going that route as well. Yep. Yep. Another turn in the streaming wars. It just makes sense that they tried something different and they're figuring out that the money's really not there to support it. So they got to fall back on that old, old formula that did work for them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're right. Die Hard is also owned by Walt Disney Company. Yeah. So Die Hard will be moving around. You know, and uh, I wonder if Prey, Prey, the Hulu original, the uh, Predator movie, I wonder if Prey will be taken off of Hulu and if that could go to another rival streaming service. That would be interesting. Yeah, it would. I mean, when this was first brought up, I figured it would be not quite things that are firmly under that Disney banner, but more things, you know, like the the stuff they acquired with, with Fox and, and stuff like that. Um, Hulu, I mean, where with Prey being a Hulu original, I wonder, but... That is a fucking great movie, though. So, I mean, you'd think that anything that they could successfully get some money for to let somebody else stream for a little while on their platform is going to be on the table. Like, the, I just don't see, like, Disney originals being part of that. 
My, I don't think you're going to see like animated Aladdin yeah. or Mermaid or stuff like that go out. But but things like, I could see Prey going out, Die Hard, those movies, oh, my, definitely the Home Alone ones. My bet is that the first service that gets Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny will not be Disney+. Plus. Mm, that's interesting. I don't. Ooh, that th- makes a lot of sense because they could demand a lot of money to to say, "Oh, you want to have the initial streaming rights for this? Well, you're gonna have to pay a premium for that, and it'd be way more than they would get in new subscribers." Stars it on their own. Since Disney, since Sony owns, you know, Spider Man, the the like the like No Way Home and all those movies have been going to Stars, you know. And I I think that Stars would probably want to put up some big money for something like Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny to get people to go over to their service. I think it's smart, like with like uh, Disney making like these new movies like Indiana Jones and like anything else that like even I mean, even like, you know, the new Tron movie could go somewhere else as opposed to Disney not being its permanent home. I just think it's smart money for Disney to do that, to start selling this shit out. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what these next chapters of these streaming wars is going to be like. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of the services combining together. We're going to continue to see incremental price hikes. We're going to see more and more of the ad-supported platforms. They just need to figure out more ways to squeeze money out of this because what they've been doing for the last couple of years is just leaving them in the red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, they reported a $1.5 billion loss in the third quarter. And I think Bob Iger is like, okay, this, we can't do this. And yeah, this is what we're going to do to turn things around. So, Joe, Melissa, are you looking forward to John Wick 4? <laughs> yes, I got to see that trailer again ahead of uh, Knock at the Cabin. And I was so thrilled to see it on the big screen. Same. I'm going to be honest. I have not seen a John Wick movie. What in the serious fuck? I know. It's bad. I didn't see the first one, and it just has gotten away from me. <laughs> oh. I'm in shock. Yeah. Oh, that hurts. First, she gives skin a marinka. Oh, taste it. Now this, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the real laugh. If, if you tell me that you love reading the reviews for the John Wick movies but you've never seen a john wick movie i'm just i'm gonna lose my fucking shit right now i'm kidding yeah i've never read a review of a john wick movie um no but i think that this could be a good opportunity to finally see them yeah yeah Uh, dark horizons came out with an article that's got me like chomping at the bit for john wick chapter four even more so than i was they go on to say the highly anticipated john wick four won't be resting on the franchise's laurels. It seems as the film's star, Keanu Reeves, promises the film will not only push the fights to the next level, it's set to give the Fast and Furious franchise a run for its money with its car-foo sequences. Oh, that's Car-foo. exciting. Car-foo. So we're going from gun-foo to car-foo. In the next entry, John Wick uncovers a path to defeating the high table and must face off against new enemies, the Mark the Marquise, uh, played by Bill Skarsgård, who has powerful alliances across the globe that could turn some of Wick's old friends into foes. 
uh, Lance Reddick, Ian McShane, Rina Sawayama, uh, uh, Shamir Anderson, Clancy Brown, Hayaruki Sonata, and Donnie Yen co-star in the film. And in an interview with Total Film recently, Reeves says the new entry has the most action of any Wick films to date. He adds, quote, it's more by a good margin. It's a big show. He then says it was the hardest physical role he has ever had to do in his career so far. And, quote, they really trained me up to be able to have what we call the toolbox. Reeves also beefed up his driving skills for a major set piece that takes place near the uh, Arc de Triomphe. Uh, quote, we took the car driving to the next level, which I really enjoy. There's 180s, forward into reverse 180s, reverse into forward 270s, drifting. So it was really fun to get a chance to learn those skills and to play. Um uh yeah, he did talk about uh they talked about Donnie Yen here. Uh meanwhile, Hong Kong action Donnie Yen, icon Donnie Yen joins the franchise new character Kane, an ex-assassin and old friend of John Wick. Stunt coordinator and second unit director Scott Rogers says Yen brings his own master level fighting abilities to the films. Quote, he is not an actor that you have to train for specific fight. For each specific fight, he is a great actor who is also a trained fighter. His ability to enhance the choreography through his own creative creativity is world class. When you add that to the many years of John Wick training that Keanu Reeves has invested, you end up with something very special. And um, Reeves promises that John Wick Chapter 4 is our opus. Oh, my God, it's crazy, man. It's banana cakes. He said it's banana cakes, Joe. He's <laughs> <laughs> reaching for the, the adjectives on that one. It's zucchini bread, Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> now I know exactly how excited to be. Exactly. I had to put it in your terms. <laughs> Thank you. I it, appreciate that. I know. I wanted to bring you into this. It's zucchini <laughs> bread. Carfu sequences. I'm Joe. I know me and you are both fucking chomping at the bit to see Donnie Yen. I mean, they tease that fight. They tease that fucking fight right there at the end of the trailer, man. Yes, and it is very, very exciting. Like, dude, I'm like Donnie Yen's one of my favorite martial artists to see on the screen. Ever since the first time I saw Ip Man, like I have, I've been down for this guy. And now that we're getting him in a John Wick movie. Just the the little glimpses that we've seen in the trailer has me so stoked for this movie. I can't wait to be sitting in the theater on opening night and see this thing. I'm gonna be there, man. You know it. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be going to the Marcus IMAX theater watching John Wick Chapter Four. And oh my <laughs> God, March 24th, March 24th, Joe. It's gonna be it's coming awesome. right up. Same month as Creed Three. Oh, I know, dude. March, we're getting a lot of good. Well, just between the rest of this month and March, we get a lot of good stuff coming up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My God, John Wick 4. And I can't wait, and I can't wait for John Wick 5. I'm already ready for John Wick 5. Ugh. So, I wonder how far they're going to take it. I don't know. I mean, yeah. yeah, You'd think as long as they keep being successful, they're just going to keep doing them. You have to. As long as Keanu can keep doing the stunts. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to. These are successful movies. I, mean, I, I, I wonder when we're going to see the John Wick where he can't do the stunts anymore and he's just putting up his hands at people like he did in the fourth Matrix movie. Yeah. 
I'm the, sorry, Melissa. I had to get that. No, you're in. good. Uh, the the aged Keanu Reeves, Indiana Jones treatment, John Wick Seven. <laughs> Give uh, and I'm looking forward to the what is it? The ballerina, the fucking Anna de Armas, and we they tease John Wick showing up in that movie. Yes. I, yeah, man. Give me. The- I'm all about them expanding out this world. It, it is a very very interesting world that they've built with this and is as long as they can keep coming up with movies and spinoffs and if they're successful and they got a good plot and they're doing good things for the world i'm cool with them i mean they're saying that they're taking in the direction of fast and furious with the car stunts they can take it in the direction of fast and furious and give me 10 of these movies if they keep being good <laughs> yeah we're still getting the continental the series uh, i think it oh shit i forgot about the continental it's taken off of stars it's going to a new service uh continental yeah, let me look this up. It got taken off of stars and it's going to it's going somewhere else. I can't remember where it's going to. Ah fucking I can't. T V series. Where is it going to? I can't find it. Fuck it. Looking forward to that. Oh, and then King of the Hill, the revival. It's it's happening. It's going to Hulu. I know oh, guys- dude, when I saw that article, I was like, oh, Brian's going to be so excited about this. You bet your fucking ass I'm excited. <laughs> I can't wait, man. I, King of the Hill is just one of those fucking comfort shows for me. It's my favorite animated show of all time. I fucking love King of the Hill. Um, Mike Judge is just a he's a funny dude, and I think he's just gotten better with age. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the King of Hill revival. And I think I think what I've read is that it's going to be Bobby older now and his family and you know they're trying to get all the returning cast that they can unfortunately Brittany murphy has passed and so is tom petty so they're not going to be part of it but i'm i'm really looking forward to it i can't wait for for more episodes i want to see bobby's kids i can't wait uh let's jump into some marvel news Marvel news. All right. What do I got? I got to. I, I haven't even read this rumor. I just saw it. Uh, rumors from multi, Murphy's multiverse. Uh, Thunderbolt's villain rumored to, rumored to be fueled by a dark entity. Uh, the article goes on to say, though production in Marvel Studios Thunderbolts won't begin for several months. The film's plot is starting to take shape. Credible rumors suggest that the team assembled by Julia Louise Dreyfus, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine will find themselves up against one of Marvel's most powerful characters, Robert Reynolds, a.k.a. Sentry. Now a new rumor from one of YouTube's most popular sensationalists adds a little extra seasoning to the rumored rumble between Sentry and the Thunderbolts. The rumor packs a pretty meaty claim about what it is that makes the Sentry such a dangerous character. If it's accurate, and I have every reason to believe it is, Marvel Studios has chosen to go a route with the character that seemed improbable. According to the new information, Robert Reynolds will have a relationship with the malignant entity known as the Void. In the comics, the Void is an ancient being of unspeakable evil whose origins seem to predate the reign of Pharaoh Ramses II. The entity attached itself to Sentry. 
slowly driving him mad and driving him to commit unimaginable atrocities. Over the years, the Void's true nature has been uh, retconned and added to, but the reality remains that its inclusion in the MCU uh, portends very bad things for the Thunderbolts. So everything that I've read about this is that um, Allegra de Fontaine, Valentina, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, She's the one who basically creates Sentry. Um, I'm hearing that she was like the Sentry is like the villain in this, but she's kind of the um, uh, she's kind of behind it. Do you think that I don't know, Joe? What do you think? I, I, she's behind the th- the creation of the Thunderbolts, but if she's also what creates Sentry, like in some lab somewhere or something. Does she have sense? She's putting this team together, so maybe she's trying to create her own super soldier for it. Yeah, and then Sentry goes rogue. That's that must be. I'm I'm very unfamiliar with the Void. I don't think I've ever read anything with him in it, and so I googled it while you were talking, and the. (laughs) <laughs> the little blurb that popped up here was fantastic. It said the void was created when Robert Reynolds took the professor's secret formula, hoping to get high. Robert Reynolds instantly became the void, a creature of I- evil and malice. While another entity was created in his mind to counter him, the Sentry. I hope when they show that scene in the movie, they start playing. Is it Cypress Hill? I want to get high. <laughs> so, so high. high. <laughs> 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 I want to get high. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? It'd be hilarious. <laughs> oh man, yeah. And instead of getting high, he goes insane in the membrane. Yeah, <laughs> insane in the brain. <laughs> I'll tell you what the pictures that show to the void here is super creepy. Though. Really? Let me... So I I hope they do it justice on the big screen. But yeah, I'm I've I've never read anything with this character in it, but. Man, the pictures are very creepy. Uh, there's a lot going on in the Thunderbolts. I mean, we've heard the rumors that we're going to get multiple Hulks in the movie. We're probably, you know, we're definitely going to be getting uh, Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, uh, if if we're to believe that, and and uh, maybe She-Hulk showing up, maybe Scar showing up, and then also there's the rumor of Red Hulk, General Ross, uh, Thunderbolt Ross turning into Red Hulk, and then we've also heard that uh, uh, Liv Tyler. Uh, is coming back, and she's going to be playing possibly Red She-Hulk. So this could be very Hulk-centric going forward. Um, man, uh, looking forward to the Thunder. Is that it? no? That was the uh, that's the Captain America movie that all those rumors are for. I, I take that back. I apologize. Oh yeah, New World Order. New World Order like, is the one with, with the Hulk. Uh, Harrison Ford and stuff, right? Yeah, I'm getting them all confused. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. But, yeah, Sentry's exciting. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing uh, seeing uh, what the Thunderbolts is shaping out to be. Because I, like, I want to see more uh, Florence Pugh, of course. Uh, yes, please. Yeah, I love her. Uh, what's that, Melissa? I always want to see more of her. Yeah, she's fantastic. Have you guys seen the new? Uh, she was in Midsummer, which was an Ari Aster movie. Have you seen the trailer for the new uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix Ari Aster movie? I yes, it looks wild. I haven't actually seen the trailer, but that is a director that 
doesn't need to sell his movie to me. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm going to see the Ari Aster movie. <laughs> I, 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 I was not a huge fan of Hereditary, but I did love Midsummer. So um, I'm split with that director. But I'll watch this. It's Joaquin Phoenix. The trailer looks wild, Joe. I, I waited to see it in the theater. I knew it had been released, but I wanted to see it in the theater for the first time. And I saw it in the theater, and it just looks looks like a bizarre film. They're doing some really weird stuff with his character, whatever the fuck's going on in that movie. Like some of the animation and stuff. It's just wild. That's where it really threw me for a loop, because it, it seemed like... Like, okay, this is weird, but then it goes to next level weird when it's showing it with the weird animation stuff. Um, I think that movie's called Bo is Afraid. Yes. Yeah, it does yeah. look and really good. Interesting, because that movie's original title was Disappointment Boulevard. Hmm. Hmm. And I don't know why they changed it. <laughs> but at one point, I was like, wait, there's two Ari Aster movies coming out this year? No. Nope, just new title. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about uh, the big one of the big rumors that came out this week, and it's coming out from a lot of different people. They're saying that uh, the front runner for Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four movie is Dev Patel. From uh, I'm who, in. He was in was he uh, was it Slumdog Millionaire? I'm trying to think of some other Dev Patel movies that I like. Um, he was in that movie with Army Hammer, um, Hotel Mumbai. I haven't seen that one. It's oh. really really good. Um, and then he was in the Green Knight most recently, I think. I hated that. I'm not surprised <laughs> that you didn't like that. <laughs> I love that film. But... I, I love the reviews, reading the reviews about that film. Yeah, though, so. see, you get it. <laughs> Tupperware those reviews. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I've seen any of these movies that this guy's in. I haven't seen either of the ones you've listed so far. I would recommend Hotel Mumbai. Over the Green Knight, for what I understand to be your sensibilities. Okay. <laughs> I, I remember when when the Green Knight first started dropping trailers, it looked really good. But then, as soon as reviews were coming out, um, like you know, friends of mine who do reviews, who, who I feel like our sensibilities line up pretty well, they didn't like it, and so I was like, "Well, I'll be not going to see this one in the theater," and. Still haven't gotten around to it. You know why they call him the Green Knight, Joe? It's because he wants to get high. <laughs> so, <laughs> Some hits from the bomb. <laughs> it was a Green Knight that night. <laughs> um, Dev Patel, though. Um, yeah, man, I like the dude. Uh, did I, did I, could I have predicted this casting if it does come true? No. But uh, I'm willing to give him a shot, man. I think the dude's pretty fucking, pretty fucking talented, man. And uh, Kevin Feige has uh, he has uh, proven that uh, he can, he's pretty good at, at, at casting. So if it's Dev Patel, I'm there for it. I'll wait and see. It's a wait and see. I like the guy, so we'll see. You guys have no thoughts on Dev Patel as Reed Richards? Okay, moving on. <laughs> Fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. I've never Dev seen Patel. him in anything. I, didn't so know. I don't know anything about Reed Richards, but I will watch Dev Patel do literally anything, so I'm excited. You know nothing about Reed Richards. Oh, my God. Is he kind God. of a dick? You are the Jon Snow of the MCU or the Marvel Universe. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, am, yes, I am the Jon Snow of, like, um, comic source material. Like, I know the things about the MCU movie. MCU movies that exist. Yeah. And a little bit through osmosis, but not a lot. Yeah. 
Yeah, Joe. Do you, do you have any thoughts, or, or am I just moving on to the next thing? Am I just going to be? <laughs> am I just going to be reading shit and then and then and then moving on? <laughs> yeah, this is story I, I mean, time with Brian. I, I don't. Right? I don't know one way or another how De- Dev Patel would be in that because I don't think I've seen him in anything. Um, but but um, to to answer Melissa's question, yeah, Reed can definitely be a dick at times. It, it kind of all depends on who's writing him. Hmm. All right, that was fun discussion. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, rumor from Film Odyssey MCU on Twitter. As it's been mentioned, Miles Morales will be in Spider-Man Four. He won't be the same age as Peter. He'll be younger. A little bit of time will have passed since Spider-Man No Way Home, from what I can tell. No word on if Donald Glover will be returning as his uncle. We'll have to wait and see. Are you buying it, Joe? Miles Morales are going to be introducing him in Spider-Man 4. Live action. I'm buying it because I think it works out to set up a relationship between him and Peter and have that go on for a little bit before they just throw him into the role as... Now you're the new Spider-Man. Um, I've been playing a lot of the the PlayStation 4 Spider-Man game, and I noticed that there is quite a bit of interaction in that between um, Peter and Miles. Um, I, I haven't read any of the, the Ultimates comic books or the Ultimate Universe comic books where, where they first introduced Miles. Um, so I don't really know it from, from that standpoint. My, my biggest... Um, my my biggest uh, experience with that character is really from Into the Spider Verse, and then just kind of anecdotally hearing things about the the Ultimate Run and where his character came in from there. But I like the idea of them bringing him in and just having Peter and Miles work together as not not exactly a hero team, but teaming up on something else outside of it, where where he knows Peter as Peter, other than you know knowing him as Spider Man. And so I, I think that this is good news. I, I think it makes sense. I think that on a long enough timeline, um, when Tom Holland is out the door, I think that Miles Morales is going to be our next Spider-Man. And so this just makes sense that they're laying the groundwork for it now. I, I believe that he'll be the next Spider-Man live action. I just think that I, I guess I'm just thinking that the next movie is, a, I mean, I, 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 is a little soon. Um I don't know if I'm buying this one or not. I, I, just, it, I think it would be too soon if he's in the movie from beginning to end. But if they just have him in for like a brief, a brief part, and then maybe in the next movie he's in yeah. a little bit further, and then the next movie maybe finds out that finds out Peter's secret at that point, and then starts taking over. I don't know. We'll have to see. But I think depending on how they handle it, if they're they're going to have to go with the less is more approach for. For this one if he is going to be in the next one because if they have him in too much then it's going to give this expectation well in the next movie he's definitely going to be taking over as spider-man let me throw and this i don't know if they want to do that so soon let me throw this out there the rumor is that the mcu tom holland version of spider-man is showing up in the next miles morales spider-verse movie i, yeah, won- I remember hearing that yeah i wonder if the version of miles morales that we've been following in the Spider-Verse films is the version they're going to just make him live action. I don't know. It, that would be the least amount of heavy lifting that they would have to do. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. 
I mean, at this point, if you've not seen Into the Spider-Verse and you're a Spider-Man fan, you need to get your life together and go see that because it's quite possibly the best Spider-Man movie that's out there. Um, I, I, I just feel like so many people are familiar with that movie. It would be the easiest route to bring this character into the MCU, just establish it earlier in a different movie that, hey, these characters are the same. We've had Tom Holland in the animated series and we've had now this animated character in the live action series. You know, connection made. Yeah. Yeah, Sony could do it if they want to. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I was just curious. I'm not placing any bets on that happening, though. But um, with the popularity of that character in those movies, I could see Sony wanting to kind of capitalize on that. I don't know. Oh, without a doubt. And we just need to – I don't know. I just hope for for the character's sake that, that they are patient and they go at the timeline that Marvel wants to go with this. Because they're very hit at miss, hit or miss when they strike out on their own, thinking that they're going to make some good, <laughs> some good Marvel movies on their own. I 100% firmly believe that they do have plans of making a live action Miles Morales that will take over the Spider-Man mantle after Tom Holland is done. I am not 100% sold that they are going to be introducing him into Spider-Man 4 unless they know something I don't know about Tom Holland's contract possibly going forward if it's going to end with spider-man 4 so that's a good point because i mean are we going to see him do another full trilogy before he moves out or do you know do we just have trilogies in our brain because so many different movies feel like they have to give us a trilogy yeah it makes you wonder if like you know it's like because i don't know i I mean you have to you have to think that like spider-man uh spider-man is going to show up in, uh, you know, Secret Wars, a hundred percent. He's got to show up. So, yeah. I mean, how many more, how many more uh, appearances by Tom Holland Spider Man are we going to get? So, yeah, I don't know. I'm. I'd like. Secret I'd, Wars, the first thing that that character is going to be in that's on the slate. We uh, oh, as far as as Tom Holland. Yeah. They haven't they haven't said one way or the other, but you got to think. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, Knock at the cabin. Talking about this. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Dave <laughs> Batista. Dave Batista is at your door. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye. Shit. Have to decide. Um, Melissa, Melissa's like, you could you can kill Brian. <laughs> Joe's like, yes. <laughs> Brian hasn't made fun of me a lot today. So. Yeah. Um, Melissa's like, my vote's with Brian. Yeah. Um, oh, no. But I was just thinking, like, I haven't even been thinking about Tom Holland on my MCU radar. Like, he's definitely still Spider-Man, and he'll definitely still be in things. But I just feel like I have no concept of when that will be. Yeah. I'm, I, well, I... It's got to be Secret Wars. I mean, the rumor is that we're getting Toby back for Secret Wars. Oh, yeah. So, it's hella Spider-Man's from now on. Yeah. Yeah. So, we will see. I've got a bunch of Deadpool 3 possible leaks that were on 4chan. You guys interested? Excellent. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Take these with a massive grain of salt. All right. The main villain... 
that they have for this one is going to be T-Ray. And I've heard he will be completely CGI and will be for, voiced by Hank Azaria. Who is T-Ray? I should have looked this up. Yeah, that's the same thing I'm doing right now. Yeah. What'd you find out, Joe? Oh, let's see. We're so prepared. T-Ray is a supervillain. He was created by Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis, a mercenary for hire. He played an important role in the series Deadpool. Uh, T-Ray served to remind Wade Wilson, also known as Deadpool, what a failure he was. Oh, nice guy. He's a he's a mercenary for hire. Yeah, it says he's Deadpool's arch enemy for many issues, and almost everything that happened to Deadpool was a part of an elaborate plan orchestrated by T-Ray. Okay, so they're saying that T-Ray is going to be the main villain, voiced by Hank Azaria from the from the Simpsons. Yeah, I mean that guy's that's a, a man of a million voices. So. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching him first on Herman's Head. Does it? Do you remember Herman's Head? Jim? Oh, dude, I remember Herman's Head. Yeah. Uh, Deadpool, with the help of the TVA and Mobius, travel around to different dimensions. This is where they find Logan. Uh, the Fox Universe characters are included. Jessica Alba and Ian Griffud, if I'm pronouncing that name correctly, will return. They played uh, uh, Sue Storm and uh, Reed Richards. Um, the only X-Men characters who have signed on to appear is Ty Sheridan and James McAvoy. So they're saying Cyclops and Professor X. I don't know. That's weird. Blake Lively has a small role in this movie. Check this out. Blake Lively has a small role in this movie, so that's Ryan Reynolds' wife. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I think she is playing Logan's ex-girlfriend from another universe. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And uh, the final rumor is that characters from Deadpool 2 will return. So that those are the those are the 4chan rumors about Deadpool 3 that came out. So I think it's I th- think it's fun it i guess it does make sense that ty sheridan and james mcavoy would come back if they're planning on killing the fox universe characters like let's just kill them get them out of here <laughs> yes and i i really hope that that's what's going to be happening in this movie yeah but regardless i'm still so excited for this of of all the the comic book movies that we've gotten announcements from lately this one is still firmly at the top of my list for the one i'm most excited about yeah oh yeah me too joe i'm right there with you all right uh melissa are you looking forward to deadpool 3 yeah i love ryan reynolds like every time he does his dumb ryan reynolds thing i feel like it's the best thing i've ever seen <laughs> the peak of comedy <laughs> And the final thing that I wanted to talk about is it, it, it's not huge, but it's it's Daredevil born again casting report. And, and it was uh, covered here by Covered Geekly. And they got the rumor from Daniel RPK. And I think it might have been through his Patreon that they got this information. Yeah, Daniel Rickman. Um, it's listing five different characters. So these are these are new characters. The first character is named Derek, who is an Asian American male in his late twenties to early thirties. He works at a professional office and assists where he where needed. He will be a co-star in the first two episodes with potential to recur. Secondly, we have Barry, a male in his forties to early sixties. The character does not have a specified ethnicity. He is described as a slight bookwormish bureaucrat. 
who meets with a colleague. The actor portraying the character will have nine lines in the first two episodes and will be a recurring co-star. Uh, next up is Angelo, an Italian-American male in his 50s to early 60s. The character is an old-school mobster type. Dressed to perfection, he will be a recurring guest performer. Uh, Alexei uh, is a white male in his 40s with a Russian or Eastern European background. He will don a sweatsuit for a business meeting. Uh, the actor will also be a recurring guest performer. And lastly, we have Lorenzo, an Italian-American male in his 30s. He is a hot-headed mafia member in a more casual dress. He is also a recurring guest performer. Um, it is important to keep in mind that all these characters' names might just be placeholders for the real names, but all we can do is wait and watch. Article goes on to say, uh, new co-workers, question mark. Derek, if that's what his name is, seems to be a co-worker to Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock. Given that he is a co-star in episodes one and two, it, it just might be possible that he will take the place of Deborah Ann Wall's Karen Page. A recent report from Daniel Rickman stated that Deborah Ann Wall has signed on to star in the Twin Flames podcast series, which could apparently prevent her from having the time to film for Marvel Studios at the same time. However, take this with a grain of salt, since we have no further proof. Blah, blah, blah. It goes on to say, a new client, question mark. As of now, we've only seen the Man Without Fear deal with two clients, the masked vigilante Peter Parker in Spider-Man No Way Home and the superhero outfit designer Luke Jacobson in the 2022 series She-Hulk. However, the next client coming to his firm might be very soon. Barry, who has only nine lines in episodes one and two, might be building up for a bigger role in the series, potentially being in Matt Murdock's Refuge. The fact that the actor will be a member of the recurring cast solidifies his, this theory. Um, and then they go on to say, where is Daredevil born again headed with the mafia? Uh, Angelo, Alexei, and Lorenzo are members of the mafia, which gives Daredevil born again a new direction to move from the Netflix show. While further details are yet to come out, this would introduce a new power struggle in Hell's Kitchen, giving the devils of Hell's Kitchen one more opponent to face in the series. So just some casting rumors on that one. We don't have a lot of solid uh, information about Daredevil Born Again. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Daredevil Born Again if it's going to keep up with the TVMA of it all. And if it doesn't, Joe, I might be out. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame you, dude. I'm... I'm hesitantly looking forward to this one. I, I hope it's not too much of a deviation from the Netflix series, but I feel like I feel like every time they tell us more about it, they're just softening the blow. Um, I mean, regardless, I'm going to watch the whole thing, but will I like it as much as the Netflix series? It's going to be a very high bar to clear. Um, I'm, I'm curious with some of this also. Do you think it, it'll tie in at all? to like the tracksuit mafia in them. They're saying that one of these characters is going to be showing up to a meeting and they called it a sweatsuit, but that's just a hop, skip and a jump away from a tracksuit. And, and with their power being reduced, that could further leave a vacuum for, for other mafia types to come in and, and fill that void. So I'm just wondering how, how connected it's going to be to some of the other stuff that we've seen in phase four. Echo's connected to Kingpin. Kingpin's connected to Daredevil. Yes, I would say yes. Tracksuit Mafia is going to be a part of this, a hundred percent. Yeah, it seems it seems likely. Yeah. Hope Jeremy. I hope Jeremy Renner gets well enough to come back and play Hawkeye. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. All the reports coming out with with him seems that he's he's doing better, but 
Man, didn't he? Really didn't story. they say he had over a dozen broken bones? Yeah. Ouch. It's going to take a while, man. Yeah, that's not something he's just going to bounce back from right away. I mean, just healing up from it and then going through all the physical therapy yeah. after it and getting to the point where he can go and do action rolls again, He's he's got a long road to recovery ahead of him. Yeah, he does. Didn't he say, didn't he read the article? Did you read the article where he saved a kid? Yeah, it wasn't it like his nephew or something like that? that yeah. That, that he, he saved that kid's life. It's a real fucking hero, man. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus. That's all I got. We did it. We did it. Can't wait to review. You know what? Read the reviews on this episode. It'll probably be better than the one you just listened to. (laughs) Melissa's got it right. The best way to enjoy stuff. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's how I take in all my content. Melissa, where can people find you? You can find me reading movie reviews on Letterboxd at Mellow Yellow or co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Or reading Skinnamarink reviews. I read them all. Read them all. No, guys, I'm not feeling great. Hopefully I'll feel better tomorrow. I don't want to be sick again. So keep me in your thoughts. I, I swear, Joe, one of our listeners out there has like a voodoo doll of right. me. <laughs> They just keep sending it to random elementary schools. Yeah, they, yeah exactly. And the kid, <laughs> that's, that's where that's where you pick up every little cold and bug along. No the way. shit, little kids are fucking sneezing on it and shit. Hey, Jesus, yeah, I'm dying over here. I don't want to be sick again. Not again. Not again. I can't do it again. Can't do it again. Uh, next week, probably going to get a Patreon episode. I'll throw up an old Patreon episode up on the feed. You'll probably get that on Monday. Tuesday, look for it. It'll it'll be that evening. Uh, we'll get a uh, quantum mania reaction episode out. Uh, followed up uh, days later with our Ant Man and the Wasp quantum mania spoiler episode, and then uh, after that, uh, the next week uh, we'll return with a full episode. That's how we're doing shit. There you go. How you doing, Joe? Hey. That sounds good to me. I don't know. <laughs> I can't believe Ant Man in the Wasp Quantum Mania is like already here. Yeah, like I, it's it's come up so fast. I uh, watched Loki this week. Oh, nice! Yeah, you're gonna be I'm ready excited. to go. I love Jonathan Majors so much. I'm looking forward to it. I hear. I don't know if you guys knew this, but on Reddit they've already released the spoilers. For the post credit scenes, I have read them. Ooh, I have not read them yet. Yeah, if Where's you want... hype meter at. Oh man, if these if these post credit scenes are true, it's pretty wild. Ooh, pretty that's wild. Exciting. Yeah, it's very unexpected what happens in the post credit scenes. Yeah, if you want to know what the post credit scenes are, if you want to know what the rumored post credit scenes are. Uh, go ahead and send me an email. Uh, send it to Brian at popcultureleftovers.com with the title uh, Quantum Mania Post Credit Scene Spoilers. And I'll be happy to send those over to ya. Because I got them on my phone. Quentin, Quentin Roberts already reached out to me. Wanted to know. And I sent them over to Quentin. Quentin of the Real Zodiac podcast sent him out to him. So if you want to know, let me know. Just send me the email and I'll 
copy and paste and shoot them your fucking way. Have you ever heard of Have you ever heard a podcast host just not give a fuck at the end, Joe? No, that was what was cracking me up. Son <laughs> <laughs> of a son of me, fucking way. <laughs> I got it. I'm not feeling well, and now I've got to go, and uh, I've got to uh, go to my sister's house and 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 watch her dogs for the for the week and uh yeah i love her dogs but i'm not looking forward to being away from my cats all day every day i'll i'll be able to come back in the in the day and and watch them and shit here and there but uh i'm gonna miss sleeping with them at night and they're gonna miss me so yeah fucking white people problems i don't know (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, the only thing that's going to get me through this week is my Starbucks in the morning, Joe. God. <laughs> you fucking people in your fucking Starbucks. I don't fucking do the Starbucks bullshit, Joe. Oh, I haven't had one of those in a very long time. I never it, Something about paying 3 or $4 for a cup of coffee doesn't sit right with and me. Try 6 bucks. Oh, fuck that. Right. Fucking Starbucks. Melissa, are you a Starbucks um, I like coffee so much that I'll drink Starbucks if that's what's there. Yeah. Airport Starbucks, like random town Starbucks. Sometimes you got to do it. Target shopping Starbucks. Yeah, we got the I like Starbucks. Dunkin' Donuts, though. It's ridiculous. Out here, we've got a fucking Starbucks in the Target, and then right mm-hmm. across the street, there's a fucking Starbucks. It's too many. It's too many. Well, they've got to get the shopping crowd, and then they got to get the drive-through crowd. Yeah, and I will say, like, it is nice to be in any airport, basically, and be able to get your same drink. Like, I'm bothered because I've been traveling all day, but at least least I can have my frilly little coffee just the way I like it. (laughs) Yeah, brother. I do appreciate any place I can go and get, like, a legit coffee where they're going to brew espresso and then put that in a cup with steamed milk and all that, but... Man, that is six dollars for a cup of coffee is not right. Yep, it's not. Highway robbery, I tell you, Joe. <laughs> yeah, it, no, it certainly is. And then also, when you consider like how many calories are in some of those Starbucks drinks, it's just like, dude, this is a this has been a fun one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> bitched about expensive coffee at the end. What was that? First, the, relatable. Next iTunes review is going to be like, yeah, I spent thirty minutes on zucchini bread, and then they <laughs> talked about <laughs> coffee at the end. That's clearly from somebody who's never had zucchini bread fresh yeah, out of the oven. Exactly. <laughs> you, you haven't lived. <laughs> You've eaten fresh zucchini bread out of the oven. Let's end this bitch. All right. Check out Melissa on the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Joe, you can find here on Pop Culture Leftovers as a permanent leftover. I'm Brian. And until next week, we're putting a lid on it. You did it, Joe. We're out of here. Fuck this episode. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Later. <laughs> See ya. 
thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a T-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless. But I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it toss it, good it Love it, hey, let's fix it, clean, erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say's already been said, leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture, leftovers. Podcasts that are original and good have already been done before so we should separate the wheat from the shaft and we're the shaft the crap even though we're the shit we're the leftovers picking up the scraps dropped by the cool kids it, it, it's a trap good it toss it good it taste it do we love it hey let's face it can't erase it let's embrace the tupperware party subculture spill over like a vulture carry over counterculture push over pop culture leftovers and with the uncool kids What's to say's already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said, leftovers. sure the only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture, leftovers.